The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 399. My name is Chris. And my name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? Big show good today. Afternoon. Hey, well, well, oh, you're okay. right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Well, that's a habit I'll have to get over. Good afternoon. Yeah. I mean, it's like Sunday, but it's later in the day. We started right. now at noon Pacific time. And guess what? We have a really great show coming up. So the audience voted last week, and now we are delivering. It was sort of a uh, shoe in, really, if you think about it in retrospect. But this week, Noah and I are going to cover our wish list for Linux land in 2016. Things that you can't really predict are going to say this is going to happen, and you can't really expect it to happen. But if we had it our way, if we had a magic wand that we could just hit people with, what would happen? What would change in Linux? We're going to tell you about that in today's episode. Plus, in the news segment, we have all of the news from this week that you'll want to hear about. And then in the feedback segment, not only do we have your emails, but we'll have an interview with the folks that are running scale, or at least some of them. Uh, right from the horse's mouth, we're going to tell you about the big scale event coming up in Pasadena, California, 21st through the 24th of January. And we got some behind the scenes inside info we'll have in the feedback segment. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? The picks. It's the picks. And I like these picks this week because these are coming right from the heart. Uh, I, I like all of them. One is like an audience member's uh, runs Linux pick. That's what we're going to start with. And then our desktop pick and our spotlight have personal, personal significance to Noah, as in they saved his bacon. So they did. that'll be interesting to follow up on. So let's talk about this uh, Runs Linux. This is uh, pretty intense. Uh, and it was, uh, it was sent in by an audience member, Noah. And I'm, I'm guessing they probably sent it to a Linux action show at jupiterbroadcasting.com or use the feedback link. And it is Life Sciences Supercomputer Runs Linux. Wow. And what was the note we got with this one, Noah? Um, so basically he writes in and he well, actually, I think what he did was he actually copied the relevant information off of the website. But it says... The national supercomputer for the life sciences physically installed at DTU Rise campus, where a highly redundant power supply, 7 megawatts, uh, and highly advanced energy efficient dual redundant cooling technology is available. A dedicated national redundant high-speed network connects the, su the supercomputer to the DTU campus, University of Copenhagen, and elsewhere such that it mimics having the, uh, the facility in your basement. Um, <laughs> it goes on to describe the rest of it. Basically, it's this, it's this huge lab, I guess, that is that is entirely powered and running Linux supercomputers. Damn, that is really cool. Uh, and I like it. Did you, did you catch that megawatts on that uh, backup generator there? How about that? Megawatts. Could yeah, you imagine yeah. having that uh, seven megawatts? Uh, what is the temperature outside in Grand Forks right now? I'm just kind of oh, curious. Dude, it's so bad. Like, here's do you the have, thing. Your, do you have your big coat nearby? Time, Huh? Do you have your big coat nearby? Because it's pretty. It's a, yeah. it's a massive yeah. coat. <laughs> I, have, I, have, yeah. I have two because I can't. Yeah. I, not just one. So I've got I've got a regular like fleece one, and then I've got a Carhartt with Ooh. little ear things that 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 clip around. That, wow! That's all wow! It's negative six right now, but the low negative is going to be negative fourteen. Holy smokes! Yeah. Holy I know. smokes! And here's and here's the thing: people, you know, throughout the entire year, they're like, uh, especially CM. He's always on Twitter. He's always giving me a hard time or Facebook or wherever else. And he's like, "Oh, it's so cold in Iceland. It's so cold. And it's like twenty degrees now. It's cold. It's really cold. Like it's painful cold. You take a breath in, your throat hurts." It's yeah, bad. yeah. I, uh, you know, it's not been that bad here, and I got lucky uh, because uh, I've been uh, in the rover, right? And in, when it gets below freezing, it is not a good story. It is rough on that thing. And so luckily it has been above freezing now for the last couple of days. So Noah, 
I have been looking. I but I know you guys. You guys tough it out. But uh, the chat room before we started the show today was talking about like your snow gear and your. Did, I guess you must have tweeted yeah. a picture or something because people are talking. No, I did about it on it. the show last week. Well, okay, okay, maybe they just have good memories then. Uh, so, anyways, good morning to the chat room. Thanks for joining us over on a Sunday, JBLive.tv. And uh, we have a great show lined up for you today. Before we get into the rest of our picks, I want to take a moment and tell you about DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean and use the promo code LASTDIGITAL and get a $10 credit. That'll let you try out their $5 rig two months for absolutely free. Noah and I use DigitalOcean for just about everything. A lot of us here at the JB team do. It's our go-to Linux on-demand infrastructure. The entire thing runs on top of Linux, using KVM for the virtualizer. That's a win. SSDs for all the disk I.O., 40 gigabit E connections on their virtualizers, they have great data centers in New York, San Francisco. They have them in Amsterdam, in London, in Germany, in Toronto, right there by Alan Jude. But I really love their interface. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it's powerful. You can destroy machines, transfer machines, backup machines. You can integrate with their really nice API, right? right in with your package manager. I mean, they have they have libraries for just about every kind of language you would use on Linux. They have Debian, CentOS, they have CoreOS, FreeBSD. Of course, they've got Ubuntu and Fedora as well. Go over to DigitalOcean, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. Get started in less than 55 seconds. And for $5 a month, $5 for a month. Noah, what have you bought for less than $5 recently? You know, here's the thing. I went to Burger King today, and mm -hmm. my burgers, fries, and a pop cost me more than 5 bucks. Yeah. And so it's like I could eat a burger yeah. and fries, yeah. or I could have a Linux server. This is, So Taco Time isn't like your Taco Time anywhere else in the United States. Here in mm -hmm. Washington State, it's where it's from. It's way better than anywhere else in the rest of the U.S. I now know this on authority. Uh, and because uh, I've tried the Taco Times out there because I was like, hey, that's a local Washington business when I'm on the road. Wouldn't it be great to give them my business while I'm on the road? And guess what? They all were awful. Sorry, Taco Time, but you're not, you know, maybe we'll talk. Uh, so anyways, I go to Taco Time and I get myself two crispy tacos, uh, one okay. habanero, habanero and, and one chicken because those things are delicious. Then I get okay, myself. Would you like, a, would you like uh, rice with that? Hold on, no, not yet. Because then I get oh. myself a soft chicken taco meal, which is like a number three or something uh, over here. Uh, and it comes with the Mexi fries and the drink, okay? Okay. Now, uh, some time goes, oh, oh and, and my lady gets a salad. Some time goes by because, you know, they're making this stuff fresh, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they bring me the plate because they actually bring it out to you because it's almost quasi-restaurant here. And it's mm -hmm. got all this food on it, right? I got my drink, which I got with my meal. I got uh, Hadea's salad. I got my, my burritos. And I'm sitting there mm -hmm. and I'm eating. I go ask for ranch. They charge me 25 cents. And I sit back down. I've paid $22 for all this food. And I realize they forgot my soft taco and Mexi fries. They forgot my Not soft taco. $22, and I didn't get my soft taco and Mexi fries. $5 a month for DigitalOcean. $5 a month, and you get a Linux rig that's, up in the cloud that you got totes control over. You can watch a boot from that's post. Four Linux, that's four Linux servers if they don't forget your, your, your <laughs> fries. And that's five Linux yeah. servers if they had delivered the fries and the soft shell. I'm just saying. Yeah. So okay. I'm just saying, like, uh, I couldn't even get a, a fast food meal correct uh, for way more than you would pay to have your own Linux rig that is super fast. You can one-click deploy applications to. It has a super awesome API that a ton of open source codes already been written around, and you can support this show. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL over at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Use that promo code LASTDIGITAL. And... Uh, I invented that hand thing. That did you, uh, did you, when you were doing IT contracting, did you, did you ever do, uh, you know, beginning of year meetings or end of year meetings or whatever they call them? 
Yeah. So I, I got I got done. I'm doing those. Well, I'll be doing those for the next three now, weeks. Now, when you do I, these, are they like, so what kind of projects do you think we'll need to do? And like, and like yep. these are always the ones like, are we going to do that mail server migration this year? And yeah. do we need to budget for that? And like you then well, have to like project out in the future using your crystal yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and yeah. So you, look, you look and you're like, all right, you want it to do, you want it to do uh, this list of things that'll cost you this much money, which is X. And then they say, well, um, we're going to give you Y. And then you get to the end of the year and you spent Z, which coincidentally resembles almost within a couple bucks of what X was to begin with. Right. And you're mad because you blew budget Y by doing the list of things that you told them were going to cost X to begin with. Yeah. And so I, I'm going through that process again, as I do every year. And we just got done um, and we were going through and pricing out and they, they wanted to replace these servers. And so we priced out. It was going to be $12,000 to do the infrastructure the way that they wanted to do it. Or it was going to be forty dollars a month on on DigitalOcean. I know, right? And, so, and it was great. And so we sat down, and 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 their their uh, their IT guy. I didn't even bring it up. Their IT guy was sitting there, and he's like, you know, if we did this, we're on a two year uh, deployment cycle, so we'd actually end up spending that six thousand dollars. Yeah. Every two oh, years. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so so he's and he's looking, and of course the finance people and the CEO is they're all like, oh yeah, we're going with this option, and then of course all the local. You know, IT team guys are like, nah, we'd rather have it on site. And it was just kind of funny. And I'm just kind of sitting there and I'm like, well, this is what we do. And it's worked really well for us. We've never had a problem with it. And at the end of the day, yeah. it was, it was, if I was still in IT consulting, I would be doing it like this. And I'm, I, I genuinely, mm -hmm. honestly, completely mean that. In fact, part of it makes me go, I kind of wish I was still like kind of into it. Uh, in fact, I've even I've even toyed with the idea because I've, I've made some connections with local businesses around my mm -hmm. around Jupiter Broadcasting, and I've even toyed with the idea of like on the side, like you know, mm -hmm. hey, give me a little money and I'll set it up because you know it's a it's yep. an obvious choice. Uh, so yep. big thank you to DigitalOcean and thanks to everybody out there who uses the promo code Last Digital. Now, okay, are, are, are you sure we probably should have done this before we got on air? But uh, you and I are having a good time. Uh, are you sure we haven't done this app pick before because this is. This is one of my favorite Linux desktop apps of all time. So I, 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 I checked, I, but it wouldn't be the first time I thought I've checked and got it wrong. No, so. it's all right. No, it's all right. It's all right. I'm just saying, uh, Easy Tag is clear and above one of the best metadata editing applications on any desktop. Uh, as somebody who has published thousands of MP3s and MP4 and uh, .oggs and .webm files, I can tell you, nothing stacks up to EasyTag. It's so great. And so as a little bit of an example here, I have it installed right here on my machine. And I've pulled up a file that we're going to be playing later in the show called Scale. Uh, and this is the Scale interview. And right here, you can see the interface to editing the metadata on this MP4 file. And of course, it'll do OGG files and MP3 files and all that kind of stuff. It supports each device, or I mean each type, and it has easy image embedding, all the different information's right here. It is a great application. It can scan the entire directory. It supports copy and paste of metadata information. So if you're doing an entire album, that's super easy. Another really nice thing is say you back up your uh, TV shows or movies from the internet. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a little something in my throat. You know, you do, you're doing your backups, and uh, they download, but they got no information in them. And you can add this information, and then a lot of media center or, or uh, set-top box players can read the ID3 tags and actually give you that information up on the screen. I love EasyTag, Noah, so I'm not sure if we've ever picked it before, but it, if we have even, it deserves it's, a mention. It's, I, I just double-checked. It's not on the app pick page, and I uh, here, here's the thing. I... Uh, back this like this dates back to like my Morpheus and, and LimeWire days, if you remember in, back in Morpheus days. But um, I, I would download 
MP3s that I already own the CDs of. Yes. And 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 they would be titled in a very specific way. It would be artist name, a space, a hyphen, a space, the title name, dot, the file extension. And I have used that naming convention for every song I have ever had on my computer for the last 20 years. I've never strayed from it, and I have no reason to stray from it. And I buy all my music now on Amazon because it's just easier to buy it on Amazon. But the problem is their naming scheme is all off. And so when we did the house is putting in a whole house audio system and we have a, a rack mount MP3 player that plays audio throughout the house. And I was putting together Christmas albums to play uh, when we had Christmas dinner. And I was sick and tired of, I knew I had downloaded all the songs from Amazon before, but I couldn't find any of them because they're all titled all wonky. And then they, it has, for whatever reason, they put like a two digit number and then a dash and then the title of the song. So if you have, if you have Silver Bells by three different artists, you I, I mean, I can't have Silver Bells by three different artists because the title is the same. And so I was doing like Silver Bells 1, Silver Bells 2, and eventually I got sick of it. I'm like, okay, this is dumb. I should just title these once and for all and went out, did some research, found Easy Tag, and renamed hundreds of MP3s in a matter of minutes. Yes, and yes. Without, it's like totally solved. And now I'm like addicted to the program. And so and so this week I went through and just, I did my entire music collection and renamed everything with Easy Really? Tag. Whoa, you got all yeah. OCD up in that business, didn't you? I did. Well, now I had the tool to do it. Before it was, I knew there was something there and I was using a complicated bash script to do it before. And it kind of worked, sort of, except every, it had this unique problem where every once in a while, some of my files would just get renamed to Dash, <laughs> which is not really preferable because no, yeah, it's just a mess. But this works much better, and I really yeah. like it. I think, my, you know, man, I, I think, think I'm going on uh, four, five, six years of using EasyTag at least. Yeah, I'm in the dark, apparently. But You know, it's just, it's funny because, and this is why I like this application, is it's one of these simple utilities that uh, when you go to find equivalents, and... Of course, there are equivalents on, on the Mac and Windows platforms. But when you go to find equivalents for those, you run into a ton of, on the Windows side, uh, shareware, spyware crap that right. uh, can constantly fills you with mal malvertising that wants you to upgrade to like entire re-encoding suite applications. Mm -hmm. And on the Macintosh, uh, I, I find the best one application to be something called Media Rage, which is an mm -hmm. expensive proprietary application. Uh, there's not, uh, there are... This is a great example of really, really good, useful, free utilities that you just inherit when you come to the Linux platform that you yeah. kind of take for granted when you go sit down on one of the proprietary platforms and try to look for some equivalent tools. There's, exactly. there, there is an easy tag because it's a GTK application. I'm sure you could run it on Windows or, or the Mac, mm -hmm. but it is a great Linux app. Been using it for years. Uh, check it out. It is probably going to save your bacon, too, and help you get your OCD on. Now, our weekly spotlight this week is, I'm guessing, I'm guessing this is something you probably recently implemented that's a game changer. I know I've tried it in various different implementations before, and if you need to help support a group of people, you got to have something like a decent ticketing system. So, uh, Noah, I'm curious to hear how OS Ticket has uh, kind of entered into your life. Yeah. So basically, when we started, uh, when I started Altispeed back in 2009, uh, you know, if these tools did exist, they they were nowhere to be found, and they certainly weren't as easy to deploy as they are now. And we ended up writing our own uh, system, and it worked. It worked great. The problem is, um, as any developer out there already knew, and I'm learning at some great cost to me, <laughs> you can't just write something and leave it hanging out there. Uh. It has to constantly be updated. And as you know, back in 2009, we didn't have quite the quite. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't quite to the same push of mobile standards that it is now. And so I have texts calling me all the time saying, when are we going to get a mobile app? When are we going to get a mobile app? Like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. 
as soon as I find an Android developer that wants to come write mobile right. apps and I have some extra money, which I never seem to have to pay them to write an app <laughs> that I would never personally use. And so uh, basically we started out, we rolled this out as we we're running in parallel. We we're running our ticketing system and then we were running OS Ticket as what we're using for <clears throat> remote sites. So we are contracting, um, doing more and more work with people that are offsite and we're letting them submit tickets through us. To I was going to ask you, yeah, that's always what I ended up doing is, but of course it, it was hit and miss. Some of them still prefer phones and emails. Obviously yeah. the majority do, mm -hmm. but if you can work with a technical end user and get them to start submitting tickets. And of course, if you're in a business where you're trying to support end users, trying to do the IT support, having something to keep it all together, a ticketing system isn't just about keeping organized, but if you do it right, and especially with OS Ticket, if you want, you can generate metrics that show you're doing your job, and exactly. this can be used against and, and you. And response time, and that, and so that's a lot of. That can also be a good thing, right? You can prove to the client or your employer that you're working. Mm -hmm. Well, and in 2015, we sent out a survey at the end of the year, and we said, "What things would you like us to see change in 2016?" And one of the one of the most overwhelming pieces of feedback that we got was that they would like to see response time improved. Um, and so the problem, obviously, with the response time is a lot of times you go out on site and they'll say, "Our front desk computer doesn't work." Well, you get to the we get on site and you find that really their front desk computer doesn't work because their wiring is garbage, and their wiring is garbage because it runs back to a switch that's garbage that's mounted on garbage, and basically that whole thing has to be ripped out and replaced, and then it has to go over and the parts have to get ordered and then you have to schedule a separate time to come back out. Well, what do you do with that ticket? You don't, we, we can't just leave it open because our SLA is, you know, it's 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever. We can't get parts that fast and they wouldn't want to pay for the overnight shipping, even if we could. Yeah, it's a semantics um, game almost. It is. And, and so, and, and our ticketing system just wasn't built for that complexity. And so, we started with the remote support and, and just tried it for about eight months to see how things would work out. And I was blown away. And so we, uh, at, as of January 1st, 2016, we dumped our old ticketing system and, and have fully moved to OS Ticket. We've used it for everything. And the thing that I think has, that has really stood out to me this week and why, it, uh, why I threw it in the spotlight was, uh, is because every time I'm looking at something, every time I'm going through to do something, I think it would be awesome if I could do X, Y, Z. And I look and there's a way to customize it to do it. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. before what I was doing at a development level to, to change like core parts of the, the way the system works, they just have, you know, a, a button for it and you can edit, you can, I mean, everything is editable yeah. and manageable. And I actually, apps on Android. I so actually can, think the other nice thing about it too, is you can kind of pick and choose what parts you want to use. Yes. You could just use it for the ticketing, but if you yes. if you want to, you can use like the internal notes system, and you can use the SLA stuff. You can set up yeah. customer portals so that customers can submit tickets. But if you just want to use it as an internal issue tracker, you can yep. just do it as a simple it, issue tracker. Which as well. is actually it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what we've done. We've shut off the external ticket system. We're still using the the remote deployment for people sending tickets in, and we're not yeah. letting people yeah. actually edit the the tickets in 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 our main database. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a variety of reasons for that. The biggest one is because the people, no matter how many times I've told our text this, they seem to not put much of an emphasis on spelling and correct grammar. And I hate it when customers get, when customers forward me an email that was sent by somebody uh, that has, that, that, you know, isn't formulated correctly and doesn't use proper sentence structure. It's one thing yeah. in IRC, one thing in the internal ticket system, I don't care. In Telegraph, I'm bad about it myself. But when I compose an email to a client, it, it's worded properly. And so I don't want that stuff going out. Not to mention, there's a lot of, um, liberal notes will say that get thrown into 
the the tickets that I don't necessarily want going out to clients. So yeah, that's um, true too. Yeah, we, we block certain parts of it off, and we are we're doing exactly what you're saying. We're using certain parts of it and not using certain other parts, and it's worked. When I, I'm 110 percent happy with. When it. I was my own, when I was self-employed in my own consulting, mm-hmm. that's how I did it. When I worked for uh, when I was an employee of a company that then contra- that contracted me out to a bunch of places, mm-hmm. they actually based the billing. Or, uh, and my pay, you know, because it, my pay was uh, was percentage based on billing, uh, mm-hmm. on on the tickets, and they uh, they literally took my input from the tickets and put it on the bill. So I was kind of the guy that figured out well, we better state things in a unified, standardized way exactly. that makes it sound like it's worth paying for, <laughs> you yeah. know, because you see, can't just say insult. Yeah. Because that it limits who you can employ or that limits who you want updating that ticket. And I, I don't need that headache. I, yeah. So what I tell people is put as much information as you can in the tickets. Nobody else is going to see it except people that work here and they're bound by an NDA. So don't worry about it. Just any information that you think could possibly relate to this ticket, put it in there, document it, and then we'll we'll, we'll sort it yeah. out later and have OS, somebody else. OS Ticket is one of the great open source web applications. And of course, obviously, you can run it on top of a Linux rig. Uh, did you do the setup yourself? And what did you find that process to be we like? Did the, the, okay, so I actually was having a phone conversation with you the night that I was finalizing all of this. The first time I went through this, it took it probably took me 10 hours. But that's because I ha- I have not worked extensively with SQL. And it for me, it's not just good enough to get it up and running. I have to know how every little individual part works because when it breaks, I know that at that point, I won't have time to fix you want, it. So you the want the confidence time, going into it. That's smart. Right. And so I wanted to know how the SQL was talking to the web server. And yeah. once I figured all that out, and that took me probably 10 hours to get everything sorted out. But then, I, the, and this is going to sound crazy to some people, once I get things working exactly how I want, the very next thing I do is blow it all away and do it all over again. Because if I can't do it, if I can't do it over from scratch immediately after completing it the first time, there's almost zero chance. The chances of me being able to do that in the future when I need to are almost zero. Well, so, that's a huge time commitment, but it's a really good way to do it. It is. And then the second time I go through, I document all that stuff. And it's funny because three of those, I did it once. It was a pain. I blew it away. Yeah. And then I did How do you, as somebody those- who's as busy as you are, how do you say, okay, self, I'm going to not only set the time aside to learn this thing, then yeah. I'm going to be really anal about how I learn it. And then after I learn it, I'm also going to set aside time to do it all over again. Because I've spent too many times figuring it out three or four times, and I've learned not to do that. Figure it out once, document yeah. it, make sure you have it down, and then you yeah. never have to learn it again. And three yeah. of those documentation times have wound up to be how-to segments. So maybe that'll happen with OS. Hey, ticket, oh, I would love that. Through, after I had the documentation through, the second time running through, and of course we did this all in DigitalOcean, both the main server and the backup, um, uh, the second time through it was about 10 minutes from the time oh, that I okay. sat the terminal to the time it was up and running and usable, 10 minutes. And I mean, since then, we have made countless... Uh, customizations to it. And so to go back and do all those customizations would take infinitely longer. Yeah. But this is where snapshots come in. <laughs> well, snapshots. And also we have found out how to back up those changes and store oh, them good. independently of the database. So that's so the that thing you can do pretty easily with OS yeah. Ticket. Nice. That is really yeah, cool. I don't know if it's necessarily documented, but we found where the where it was being stored in SQL and, and pulled that out so that we have all those changes if we ever have to re-implement it from scratch. Yeah. And of course the chat room is saying when you need to work with MySQL, they're they're plugging PHP I PHP my ad if you're going to use yep. PHP my admin, then just be really careful about how you implement it because that is a utility that can access your database. So you might consider localhost only or something like that. So Noah, we're going to talk a lot about scale uh, towards the end of the show. I'm really excited. I'm also kind of still freaking out a little bit. 
Uh, we've sold 55 or oh, 57 shirts over at teespring.com slash last 400. This might be getting close now to helping us uh, get the gas to get down there and all of that. Probably not enough to big, uh, do a big party, but at least a get-together. teespring.com slash last400 if you'd like to help our effort to get down to scale this year because we really want to do it uh, as much as possible without having to go on credit and uh, as much as possible getting there by uh, our audience support. So what we've done is we've launched a limited run of the shirts and also the hoodies available as well as the ladies' tee. You can check that out. Uh, and then if you're on the EU side of the pond, you go to teespring.com slash last400eu, uh, holler at the queen, and you can get yourself a tote bag. Have, did you see this last week, Noah? Did you see the tote bag last yes, week? Yes, yes, I did. Well, you and I have had multiple discussions okay. on the uh, on, on the. Uh, if you've never been to a con, then you don't understand how yeah. valuable having tote a tote bag. Well, or actually, just bring, I just bring my lunch in the tote bag. You can still buy, or Angela's yeah. going to order me a couple or like three from the EU, mm-hmm. which you, you know anybody could do. Uh, but depending where you're at. Uh, you get better shipping. Teespring.com slash last400. Get yourself a shirt. We probably won't do this run again and uh, help us get to scale. Uh, it's kind of like, hey, let's not bankrupt the show right as we hit episode 400, everybody. Teespring.com slash last400 to help us get down to scale. And you're going to hear more about scale later in the show. Uh, side note, just between you know you and me, nobody nobody else is listening. Let's just take a little production side uh, meeting, Noah. Uh, the hype is the strongest I have ever seen for any Linux conference ever. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And, yeah, and, and you know the thing is too is there's so much genuine excitement from the people that are involved that you you mention scale and they go off for ten minutes. So we and we I may or may not have had a conversation that we may or may not have filmed that may or may not make <laughs> it to the show at some point that we may or may not have to cut down in almost half yeah. because there was so much information. Yeah. People were so excited and so amped yeah. and so pumped to be there that uh, yeah. So but like I'm not but like everybody stupid. is going. Everybody, yeah. Ubicon's yeah. going to be there. Uh, yep. IX Systems, I talked to them. They're going to be there. System 76 just packed up all their stuff. They're shipping mm-hmm. it there. Everybody is going. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a show, and uh, we'd love your support at teespring.com slash last 400. I'm getting pretty excited, and I literally at this point, if you're if you're watching the, uh, the uh, live show, I'm going to tell you why before the news segment. I literally at this point have no idea exactly how I'm getting there because so much of the things in my life are in flux right now that mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. It is really by the seat of our pants. Uh, but you know what? At the same time, it's kind of fun, and it's all going to make show content. Well, it'll all go into the show. So at the end of the day, you guys benefit at least. Uh, so <laughs> something at least. Okay, no. Well, that's all the picks. Let's do the news. the news and this episode is brought to you by ting.com everybody go to last.ting.com right now and see how you can save big $25 off your first device $25 in service credits if you have a CDMA or GSM compatible device and you just might I just ordered a new ting uh, GSM sim Noah because you know what they're ridiculous they're like nine bucks now and you just pop it in there when you got a device so I just got a new one on the way getting ready for the uh, road trip down to scale one of the things I love about ting is it's really easy to turn devices on and off <laughs> you know, think about that. Like, you're not going to use a device for a little while? Turn it off. Why not? Yeah. Why can't you do that now? That's the advantage to a pay-for-what-you-use mobile service provider. Ting takes your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and then they add them up, and whatever you've used, that's what you pay. It's a flat $6 for the line, $6. 
You can add multiple lines. You just keep adding devices. It's six freaking dollars, you guys. You go to last.ting.com to save money and support this show. Check out their awesome dashboard. Uh, and if you want a, a company that has a CEO that knows who the EFF is, you might want to check out Ting. In fact, kind of along these lines, they recently just did a post about why they don't offer uh, net neutrality destroying uh, free audio streaming. Elementriatus on Twitter asks, Given that Ting uses the T-Mobile network and T-Mobile users get free streaming of music, does Ting offer free streaming too? It's a fair question. Uh, the answer is no, and, and I'll, I'll defend my answer uh, uh, with three points. Uh, first is uh, our wholesale costs are such that we're, we're paying for all that data usage and, and uh, uh, we really can't afford to, uh, uh, to just uh, suck up those costs uh, entirely. Uh, second is, is a bit of a, um, uh, a, a, a principled thing where we uh, we're so fiercely committed to uh, to being this sort of dumb pipe uh, where we want people yes. to use the service uh, however they want. We, we never want to try to steer people towards any particular content, any particular app, any particular provider. Um, and we feel like a policy like that almost inevitably ends up doing that, if that makes sense. Uh, and then third uh, is really just that we have tried to move away from uh, all these sort of tricks around pricing. Uh, we're, we're, we're this price on weekdays, we're that on weekends, we're this if you're consuming this kind of data, uh, that if you're consuming that kind of data. Um, we really feel like inevitably uh, that makes the whole world of pricing kind of convoluted. And, and, and in the end, we say, this is what you're going to pay for data, this is what you're going to pay for voice, this is what you're going to pay for text. Look at your usage and see if you end up saving money. And, and uh, um, if you ask 10 customers, they almost always do. And, and so we really want to stick to that kind Linux.ting.com and last.ting.com to support our shows. Last.ting.com support the Linux Action Show. I've been a customer for over, I'm coming on almost three years now. And I love it. I have to tell you, I actually, through the holidays, managed to save the most money ever on Ting. Three lines, three smartphones, $27 for my month. I got it. I've gotten Wi-Fi savvy, I will admit that, but it is so awesome because if you're just a little savvy on how you use things, you can mm -hmm. have control and power over your mobile experience. Last.ting.com to support this show and get a $25 discount. I just ordered me a new SIM. I'm just getting it ready for nine bucks, the next device that comes along. I slap it in there and when I use it, I have data on demand. Noah, I love it. I don't mean to one up your game, but if you pay attention, you'll see that they, every once in a while, they have $5 SIMs. And yeah, you, I know. So yeah, last yeah. time they had a five dollar yeah. sale, I bought a ton of them, and so I have them stacked up for exactly that reason. When the phone comes, <laughs> that's along, where I got the idea from. But I just didn't oh, act really? as smart. I didn't act as quickly and as 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 uh, as appropriately as you did. <laughs> yeah, they ha actually. So it's funny. Um, you know, my, obviously, you know, for Christmas, the the kids get mom and dad something, and my daughter actually got me my daughter who's two, so really my wife. But my daughter got me a Ting GSM card. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, oh, that's yeah. a brilliant geek stocking stuffer. Wow, I yeah. should have thought of oh, that. That's that was fantastic. Good. But you know, that guy, he, I want to touch on something he said. He said that we've tried so far to get, or so hard to get away from gimmicky pricing yes. structures. Yeah. This I is just in, a new version of that. I think I told that. you this a couple, a couple uh, like a week or so ago, I was in an AT&T store and we were working with them on, on a, on a different project. And, um, they, they were explaining the, the, the pricing structure to the guy I was with. And he says, it's, uh, it, he goes, how much is my monthly bill? And he's like, well, the starting line is 25 bucks. He's yeah. Like, oh, okay, 25, 25 bucks a month. And he's like, oh, okay. So then he that's gets the, to the line end, cost. Like, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. then we get to the end and he's like, so total yeah. today is going to be 67.55. And he's like, yep. but it was 25 bucks. And he's like, well, that's, that's the cost the of just the baseline. And he's like, right. Well, right. But there's like, th- and he's like, no, 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 it's not taxes and fees. It's there's $30 charged for a, a pool access to get access to the data pool and the minute pool and the message pool. And he's like, that, then it's $50 a month per line. He's like, no, 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 no. The pool charge is $30. Yep. The line yep. charge is $25 yeah. unless yeah. you have X amount of gigs. Then the pool charge is $50 and the line yeah, charge they're is Yeah, they're the masters, like, dude. Oh my God, man. Yeah. I pay $6 yeah. and I pay for what I use. There is no, like, I mean, I could, you could have a flow chart with all of these uh, different yeah. uh, charges. You that see you have it to now too, like uh, there, you have the duopolies where they just gimmick it out of like, they just come up with charging like pool access. That's adorable, <laughs> right? And then you've got the other ones where they let, where they wear pink shirts and leather jackets and they don't know who the EFF is. Well, it's a pretty it, obvious choice, really, if you think about li- it. They, they lie to you too. There's a guy at, at, when we went into that store in Washington, he's like, yeah, yeah this, this is cheap. You can't get, you can't even get a cell phone for less than, like, yeah. that's not yeah, exactly. Yep. Last.ting.com. And thank you, everybody out there who's been uh, uh, supporting us by visiting that and just checking out the Ting service and using their uh, calculator right there. And also, big shout out, every time I go to an event, I hear from dozens and dozens of people. I mean, dozens is probably me being generous. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, like it's I mean, it's pretty much almost everybody. <laughs> Conservative, yeah. yeah, yeah, conservative, because it's like it's like a lot of them, and you probably noticed this too. But I'm say, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I switched to Ting, I used DigitalOcean, you know, I've got a system. I mean, it, it really, it really is great. And so, thank you to Ting for being such a great fit too, and coming back for 2016 on Linux Action Show. Thank you for keeping us going. This next headline is a funny one, and I'd be curious to see what the chat room thinks about this because uh, I guess we're just going to call it what it is now. And this is even coming from OMG Ubuntu. Ubuntu spyware will be disabled in Ubuntu 16.04 LTS. Ubuntu spyware. Ubuntu spyware will be disabled. That, Chris, do you, you feel like... You, you know what I think about the search bar, right? Yeah, it's, but, it's a bad user experience. Right. But calling it spyware, I have thought from the beginning is... It's over the top, isn't it? It's a bit melodramatic. I mean, if you look at the technical definition of spyware, software used to spy on people, I suppose I can see how they arrive at that. But that does that does require a certain amount of implication and a certain amount of assumptions. And that assumption is that one, Canonical is doing this with the intention of collecting user data. Two, they're actually looking at that data and doing something with it. Right. Uh, and and so and I don't necessarily believe that either of those two things are true. And at the end of the day, you are always able to turn it off, yeah. which most spyware I've dealt yeah. with, at least in the Windows world, yeah. is it's very it's like it's now, like a day long process to get rid of it. I, I want to be fair. For OMG it's Ubuntu, not. they put it in scare quotes. You know, it's quotes. Yeah. Okay. Every other site I've read it at, they're serious. Like they're like the Ubuntu spyware, and uh, we're gonna in the wish list segment coming up. Uh, I'm gonna cite a couple of references about people switching back to Linux. Switching back to Linux, mm-hmm. and and in both cases that I'm going to cite, and in the case of our own experiment we did with Chase on how to Linux, they all did label it as spyware. They all did call it spyware. Uh, both authors that I'm going to cite in the uh, in the wish list and Chase considered it to be spyware. And I think what it what it, what it is is perception trumps technical implementation. Mm-hmm. And I think perception was I type something in here, they're sending it off, and ergo they're they're data mining, and and uh, and so it's it's dirty, uh, mm-hmm. and I think regardless of what the actual implementation was to make the results less 
specific to end users, I think mm-hmm. this is a huge move for Canonical on the desktop. I think this is a big move for people that are looking to move away from desktops that have the strategy tax. I'm talking about Mac OS X. Mac OS X has the biggest strategy tax. Well, no, that's not true. Windows 10 has the biggest strategy tax of the commercial platforms. But Mac OS X has, uh, I'll, well, we're going to talk about it more in the next segment. But Mac OS X has a huge list of issues that are making people relook at the platforms. And when you want to move from one really well-supported commercial platform and you want to jump on Linux, you want to jump on the desktop environment that's going to be the best supported, the one that's going to have the applications yes. that work, the, the out-of-box experience, yep. Noah, right? That's right, yep. In a lot of cases, that leads you back to Ubuntu. And there's a certain logic chain uh, uh, that we have linked in the show notes, actually, that uh, an author went, uh, an author who works on PHP, he works on a lot of really important web applications, and he went through a certain logic chain. He explored Mint, he explored Arch, he explored a lot of different distributions and ended back at Ubuntu when switching mm-hmm. from the Mac. And he cited, as a concern of his, Ubuntu spyware, right? So then... The, publicly announcing that they're going to disable this, and, and now everybody's covering this, I think calling it spyware actually has a reverse benefit because it grabs attention, it makes people read it, and now it's becoming part of the known consensus that this is being disabled. So actually calling it spyware in the long run is helping Canonical because it's letting everybody know in the most dramatic sense that it no longer is enabled on their latest version. So it's kind of yeah. like a reverse benefit, like in the sense that any press is good press because it's spreading the word that it's turned off. Now, I've heard it been, I, I, I seem to recall, Noah, it's been turned off in the past and then shipped enabled. Do you recall that as well? No, I, I don't. Uh, in, 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 you know, in, in 1204, it was off. 1304, it was on. 14, everything after 1304, it's been on by default to the best of my knowledge. I thought I remember them and, saying it was going to be turned off before. Yes, in 1404, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't. No, it and, wasn't. Yeah, and so and then everything after fourteen oh four it was still on by default, and now I guess in sixteen oh four it's going to be off by default. But that that announcement came after thirteen ten that they were going to have it. They were going to have it off starting with fourteen oh four, and then everyone was talking about how great that was, and then it didn't happen. Um, and that was one of the first things I noticed with fourteen oh four. And coincidentally, it's one of the first things that you and I both noticed when we were at System seventy six, noticing that they actually preemptively shut that nonsense off before they ship a computer out. Yeah, and I think that was the 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 sort of like okay, yeah, they're because you know what they they feel like it sells machines. If they didn't think it sold hardware, they wouldn't do it, right? And that's the right. real indicator that it's a bad customer experience. Yeah, people don't it, want it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and you know what? I talk to a lot of people that use Linux, both people that are that have used it for a long time and people that are switching. I have not met a single person, not one person, that went, you know. I opened my computer and I went to open Brasseria to burn a disk and I realized I need a new bra. And there was an Amazon link to a new bra for me. So I was able to buy that new bra. And then I went back to burn my... (laughs) Never once has that happened. Okay? Not once. Uh, So it's just... Nobody does that. Nobody opens up their desktop and searches for Amazon things. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. It's it's, spyware. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I think that's a bit exciting. <laughs> also, speaking of 1604, uh, just a note, uh, it is continuing to prep for ZFS support. Chad Miller of Canonical shared that ZFS is about 90% ready on Ubuntu 16.04 right now, which is pretty great. There are still new uh, ZFS packages to land in Ubuntu 16.04. But Chad has the current packages queued up in a PPA. The packages will allow for installing Ubuntu to a ZFS partition, but an EFI partition is still needed. Additionally, and no, this is the thing we need to note for our review. There is no support in Ubuntu's Ubiquity graphical installer for setting up an easy ZFS-based system. 
I'm so okay when we're reviewing 1604, we need to keep in mind you're not going to have, at this point in time, access to it in the installer. Now, wouldn't it be great if that actually lands? ext uh, 4 is going to be the default file system for Ubuntu 1604 Good. LTS. Good. Here's the thing. When it comes to... I have two different sets of expectations. When it comes to my desktop, I'm, I, I'll tolerate the terminal if I have to, but really I feel like everything in my desktop I should be able to do through a graphic interface. And mostly I have that desire for, every, for everyone else's benefit, not for my own, because when I go to show other people that they get turned off by the terminal. When it comes to a server, I don't own a, I can say this, I don't own a server, nor do I work on a server with a graphical interface at yeah. all. Everything yeah. is over the terminal, so yeah. I can care less if I have yeah. to Yeah, and, and this is, I think it underscores the point that uh, the ZFS is not for your desktop or laptop. It is right. for your server implementation. Right. And I, I think it's it's interesting because it, it shows you two things, Noah. It mm -hmm. shows you canonical acknowledging that... Uh, for a lot of use cases, long-term data storage, network file systems, huge NASes, uh, anytime you actually care about the integrity of your data over the long term and a file system with a clear future uh, roadmap, ZFS is an obvious choice. And this is Canonical acknowledging that. They're also at the same time acknowledging that ButterFS is really, uh, it's still a contender, but it's, it's great for a different set of use cases. And I think... I think it's. I think long term, ButterFS may be better for a desktop use case. I think if you and I have a couple of laptops that we're you know bringing back and forth when we're traveling and things like that, you and I, when we want really rock solid, like I got to be able to revert back to where I was, we're gonna opt to go with ButterFS on our desktop. And I think it's a better file system for the desktop. I think it's a better file system for a clustered uh, set of servers that are sort of mm -hmm. ethereal that just boot off the boot up off of like a, a Pixie boot environment and load up Linux and they're you know, they, they, they're not really like, they're persistent, they're not persistent machines. Uh, ButterFS, I think, is perfect for that because there's a lot of flexibility there. Uh, I think ButterFS is going to be great for desktop and mm -hmm. uh, uh, laptops. I think ButterFS is 10 times, maybe, I mean, who, who, how can you quantify it? But it is, it is significantly better than anything that the Mac OS is shipping, and I think that's also very great for ButterFS. But I think when you have a large server deployment, when you have enterprise-grade storage, when you have uh, um, a lot of mission-grade like uh, transactions on a file system that need to be able to have like a really uh, a really great set of snapshots that can be uh, sort of sort of uh, trusted upon, like you know you you're absolutely you're absolutely sure of your data. Mm -hmm. which is a lot of business cases and things like that, I think ZFS is going to be the clear choice. And I think this is sort of canonical acknowledging that. And the reason why I say that is because what they're doing here is they are cramming ZFS into an LTS release. And on top of that, they're doing it with DKM, DKMS. DKMS is a system that says, oh, you've just updated your Linux kernel? Let me automatically rebuild the module that is dependent on your version of Linux kernel, so that mm -hmm. way it just works with your new version of mm -hmm. Linux kernel. Uh, and it's a pretty good system. I've used it for a long time, but it is not perfect. Builds can fail, and when you're it working a lot in the VirtualBox, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you're working in the enterprise environment, you do not want to be dependent on a failed build. But right. I think the fact that Canonical is shipping an LTS with this setup shows you the market pressure that they are feeling, right? Because that Debian legal agreement or that Debian legal reading is pretty new. It's not even not even six months old before they're already baking this into their next LTS. LTSs are the versions you install on servers. 
This is them saying, we have to ship our next version with ZFS support. Otherwise, we are not competitive in the market, and we are willing to do it using DKMS. I think that's pretty significant, and I think it also shall, tells you the state of ButterFS all in one statement. You think I'm overlooking it? You think I'm overshooting it? I, overstating I think it? the fact they're using DKMS speaks a, a large volume. If it weren't for that, I would ask you if you thought it was possible that maybe they're just that confident in the stability of ZFS in its current implementation on Ubuntu to go ahead. You know, and if if you're comfortable using DKMS to rebuild kernel modules after every update, then why not just use a rolling release? Yeah, right, and which which is which is why I said that that statement right there kind of invalidates any argument to the contrary, right? I mean, it's it's a compromise. That's there's no other way to look at it. It's, I think, think it is a compromise what? too, and I think the fact that they're compromising like this mm -hmm. shows you the market pressure they're under. Right. Yeah, but I uh, overall I'm happy. I mean, I'm not. I I can't say I'm happy that they're shipping it in an LTS. I wish they would just punt it. I don't. LTS. I think it's. I think it's. I really? think it's overdue. Yeah. I think it is overdue. I think that anybody that's going to implement this on Ubuntu is aware of the technical limitations, and I think it is. I think we have to get this shipped. I think we have to get this supported. And I. I want it to happen in Ubuntu first. I want it to happen here because that's that's why you install Ubuntu on the server. Is they're a little bit more aggressive than say CentOS or Red Hat Enterprise. If it if it doesn't work. If something goes wrong, like majorly wrong, and, and it's a flop, it 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 begins. It will begin to disintegrate. No, it, um, that won't the happen. Of the LTA. Okay. Well, well, hopefully. But I'm just saying. I mean, that that's the that's the other side of this. Is that if if it does, if something does flop, then slowly by slowly you start to chip away at the. At the, the LTS uh, is the, the is the untouched. This is all the good stuff that we've worked out, and now we put it. We try right. it out on the dot tens, and now exactly. on. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's the other side. Now, if it doesn't, if it if it does just work out, and I'm not saying that it won't. If it if it does just work out, that's great. And then then you're absolutely right. It was overdue, and it's a it's a good thing that it's there. And I got to tell you, I'll sure as heck be using it on Ubuntu. In fact, if we now that this once this becomes a little bit more prevalent, hopefully this will make it to things like Open Media Vault and will give us some Linux. So I didn't make this an official wish list item for this episode, but this is a wish list item: is once Ubuntu 16.04 LTS ships with ZFS support or ZFS. Support, Support. Mm -hmm. uh, please, somebody like Open Filer, Open yeah. Media Vault, uh, Rock yeah. OS, or whatever, Rockus, or whatever it is that does. Somebody give me a Linux based uh, free NAS like competitor that uses ZFS. That's what yeah. I hope for. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, last week or two, I can't remember which episode, we talked about uh, Firefox and Mozilla announcing the discontinuation of Firefox OS on the mobile phones. Mm -hmm. And we hoped that that didn't mean they're necessarily pulling back on the home media system. Well, guess what? Over at the Mozilla blog, we've got a post about Firefox OS powering the new Panasonic Ultra High Definition TVs unveiled at CES this week. This is pretty much like our only CES story, but Panasonic announced that Firefox OS will power the new Panasonic DX900 UHD, UHD TVs. That's like 4K and I think it might include dynamic range. The first LED LCD TV, LCD TVs. Jeez, easy to that try that try LED LCD <laughs> LED LCD. There I got it. LED LCD TVs in the world with ultra high definition premium specification. Now uh, the real story is Noah. The UI actually is tight. Like Firefox OS has been um, sort of touched up for the big screen. And it looks really good, dude. That does look slick. I mean, at least from the screen caps. Yeah, and there's I've seen other screen caps where it looks just as nice. Actually, it is it like they they're really working on this. And and here's the other cool thing, dude. Check this out. 
Panasonic is going to update the old Panasonic TVs that also use Firefox OS to get the new update. So that's badass. Panasonic TVs powered by Firefox OS already have an intuitive and customizable home screens that allow consumers to access their favorite channels, apps, videos, and websites and content through the TV home screen. So this, uh, this uh, interface here, you could put Jupiter Broadcasting right up on that business. <clears throat> right up on that business. Um... So I'm happy that Firefox OS is what's doing this. That's great. Thank and you. It, it is is the it was my first Linux pre, it was my first 2016 prediction, and it seems to this is the first. You're already, you're already pay, It's already paying off, dude. It's already yeah. paying off. Yeah. So, so that's that's the great. queen that's, is happy about that. I gotta say, and, the queen is happy. And that's and that's where my enthusiasm ends because I hate smart TVs. I, I loathe smart TVs. I think smart TVs are like the worst idea ever. Oh, they are. Um, they are. Hey, okay, good. I'm glad we They are that. a host of, uh, the, what they are is uh, they are like uh, the worst case scenario. They're unusable long term. They don't get yep. updated long term. They are uh, planned obsolescence. They, uh, they, in, they, they invite vulnerabilities into your yes, local they do, land. Yes, as we found out on yes. yours, opening the Wi-Fi network. Yes, people that don't know, that is check the back catalog. Uh, so that, but, but Firefox OS sort of may, might be. I mean, maybe the antidote to this, because the Mozilla Foundation is saying, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna write code for the old Panasonic TVs that shipped a couple of years ago too." That's a good sign, don't you think? Like, that's a good sign. And also, I, I gotta say, dude, like, I way more trust in the coming from the Mozilla Foundation than I oh, do yeah. like from Vizio or oh, whatever directly. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, for one, it's gonna be documented too. You can just call in and listen to the meeting where they're discussing what's gonna change. <laughs> and then, I mean, yeah, no, there I do are, like that. There's no doubt about it. Unquestionably, hands down, unequivocally, it's good that Mozilla is the one taking taking this project on. But the the problem that I have is as a person who, I mean, we've installed, you know. You know, fifteen twenty thousand dollar home theaters and, and everything in between to mounting a TV on a guy's wall in his living room. But the the a, a lot of times, a lot of the things that we use to um, to facilitate getting a, a bunch of different devices working together requires uh, you know yeah. independent devices. So yeah. you have you know you want an RF remote. Well, that only works if you can put a little blaster on the individual yeah. devices and have them sequence. Yeah. And the thing. With the smart TV, you take away those choices, and I, yes. and I so I don't like it. And you're right; it's planned obsolescence. Yeah, and the thing is, legitimately, we all are aware that a set-top to box, a set-top box, is going to have more updates, more support, exactly. and it's easier to replace and than you your entire TV. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. you, a, a TV, I agree. in my opinion, yeah. is, and you know what? This is becoming more and more true. But you know what? No, you know what? You know what else? A PC is more customizable than a tablet, right? Uh, a a phone from Yala is, is more free than the Nexus 6P. Yeah. Here's right. the thing, but, though. The reality is the market, and the market wants to plug a TV into a power source, and they want to plug it in something to their HDMI port, mm -hmm. and they're done. And they want to be able to launch Netflix right from the TV. And yeah. I, I don't even mean is. to, I don't, I'm not even trying to demean this kind, kind of consumer, because what it is, it's like it's fundamentally, it gives them access to, court, to cut the cord. And so if you can plug your TV in, and all of a sudden it is full of applications that allow you to cut the cord and not pay the Comcasts or whoever mm -hmm. has a, the Time Warner, whoever, NBC, mm -hmm. Comcast, Time Warner, whoever it is, like if you can cut the cord and, and have these applications built into your television that allow you to do these things, sure, the implementation might suck. Yes, there's security uh, uh, issues that concern me for the LAN, but... But it is at the at, I, I at the see, same time at the going. at the meta I, level, I, it's a big deal. It, it gives people yeah. it democratizes internet content right on the TV. 
I see where you're going, but I have to disagree. And I have to disagree because the cost difference between a three or $400 phone or a four or $500 tablet is a big difference from a $3,000 TV that I'm mounting on my wall. And with the, you know, and, and, and yeah. there are more things that become where you want it compartmentalized because with, the, with these new LCD, LED, whatever TVs, they, the speakers in them absolutely blow. And so you wind up getting a sound bar. And so you, you compartmentalize everything even more so. And now we're going to put the, now we're going to put the, you know, the, the thing that creates the content back on the TV. That makes absolutely no sense. It's, yeah. You know what? It's spork syndrome. That's what it is. Is it, it, it is a fork and a spoon in one thing. And is it a particularly good yeah. fork? Not really. Does yeah. I want, I mean, at the end of the really. day, I want my TV like I want my internet. I want it to be a dumb pipe or a dumb display. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's yep. what I want. But what I hope is, is that if if anybody could create a standardized platform for the television, yes. I would love for it to be Mozilla because what I want is like, give them a taste. Just mm -hmm. give them a taste. Like mm -hmm. here is here is all of this content online that it isn't phony, isn't manufactured mm -hmm. to get you to just buy advertisers' goods. And mm -hmm. it's it's right here, and then you you get a taste, right? You get the free stuff, you get the free sample, and you like it a lot. And then you get a year into it, maybe, and you know you're Joe consumer, and you start going, well, maybe I'll get the Roku five or six or whatever's mm -hmm. out by then, or maybe I'll get the new Google whatever, or maybe mm -hmm. I'll build, and 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 this is what we would hope for this show. Maybe I'll build a Coda a Cody Media Center or uh, an MB Media Center. Or hell, even a Plex Media Center running off a Linux rig. Like, I feel like it's like getting your toes wet. It's that first taste. And then yeah. if if the first taste is good, if you like that first taste, you're in. And if if Mozilla could make a really delicious first taste, that could be a big deal. And and that's all we really need is that first taste to be good, and then they could take yeah. it from there if they're interested. That seems legit. It's, it's definitely it is definitely a best a best the best outcome of a worst case scenario. No doubt about that. If if anyone if yeah. we're going to have smart TVs, yeah. we have to make that compromise. Then at least we have a company going forward that has every possible advantage we could hope to have. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm being an optimist here. Yeah. Right. We would need like a Vizio uh, or somebody like that to adopt it, and then it would be a big deal. You know, put them in Costco and your WalMarts, and then we're really making a difference. You know, put them in your superstores. Uh, I want to talk about something else that can make a huge difference. And I want to talk about maybe in some out-of-the-box ways it can make a big difference. Ryan from the Minecraft Project joined us last week on Linux Unplugged, and he made a pre-announcement about a big contribution they're making to open source. Minecraft is sort of like an, an Amazon Echo competitor based on open source code using like Raspberry Pis and all that kind of stuff. And a, a big thing that makes Google Now and Siri actually usable is that they can take the context of what you're saying and they can actually translate that into actionable intelligence. So, you know, if you say, uh, uh, hey, Bing, what's the weather like today? It knows you mean weather is, you're looking for weather, and today is the date. It's context, right? So, Mycroft, as any good personal assistant, has to have these kinds of context and has to be able to act on these things. And the Mycroft project has announced this week that they are open sourcing their adapt intent engine. And uh, I think this is really huge, and this is a video that uh, Ryan recorded to tell us about it. The Adapt Intent Parser from Mycroft AI. The Adapt Intent Parser is an open source software library for converting natural language into machine-readable data structures. So put simply, Adapt helps computers understand the way people talk in everyday life. To demonstrate this, a user might say, play the Daft Punk Pandora station. The Adapt Engine takes this input and translates it into a JSON data structure that can be read by the application. 
The application can then take that information and turn it into an action. In this case, it will play the Daft Punk Pandora Station. Adapt was developed at Mycroft to quickly and accurately determine user intent from voice commands. Over its life, it will continue to receive updates from the Mycroft team and community. The Adapt Intent Parser is now available with an open source license and can be used for a variety of projects where people interact with natural language such as chatbots, robots, video games, phone systems, analysis of large amounts of data, and many more exciting possibilities. We're excited to see how you might use this innovative new tool. You can find the resources you need to use and contribute to the ADAPT project at mycroft.ai ADAPT. You can also engage in the community around the project at community.mycroft.ai. The source code is available on GitHub at github.com slash mycroftai. And it's a uh, GPL, limited GPL release. Uh, you can get the behind-the-scenes story from Ryan himself in Linux Unplugged last week. You know, I, there is so many things when you have an artificial intelligence uh, that can sort of look at what you're doing and figure out the intent, uh, which is all really super cool. And then I started thinking, because they're releasing it as LGPL, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like wish list stuff here, perfect for this episode. What if, uh, you know... GNOME 3 was somehow able to integrate, or maybe this is GNOME 4. It's GNOME 4 integrates this adapt intent parser AI and mm-hmm. knows what I meant to do versus what I actually did and was able to sort of sense my intention and alter my user interface based on what I mean to do. I feel like because this is open source, it's not, it's like it, the possibilities are endless, Noah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And and the thing is, is it's not necessarily what you or I think uh, we can do. It's when you release that out to the thousands uh, of, of people that have a lot of spare time and have good ideas and they're sitting at home and now they're, they're given another tool for their toolbox that helps them create something. Who knows what's going to come of it? Um, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, pretty it, neat. It'll be really neat. All right. So uh, our last news story of the week, Dan Gilmore, longtime contributor to online columns, uh, has moved to Linux, and he moved from the Mac. And this is going to sort of su- support one of my wish list items coming up, so I, I couldn't help myself uh, but include it in this week's episode. What happens to you is not sufficiently important to justify the wrong you're doing. So uh, Dan Gilmore, longtime contributor, has moved from a MacBook over to Linux. A few months ago, when Apple introduced its iPad Pro, a large tablet with a keyboard, CEO Tim Cook called this the clearest expression of our vision of the future of personal computing. This was an uh uh-oh moment for me. (laughs) Among other things... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's good. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) You you think? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good call. Uh, All right. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, so this was an uh-oh moment for me. Uh, among other things, the iOS ecosystem users are obligated are obli- <clears throat> obligated to get all of their software from Apple Store, and developers are obligated to sell it in the company store. This means Apple's definition of personal computing, but it's not my definition, which mm-hmm. is not mine either. Meanwhile, Microsoft Windows 10, by almost all accounts, is a huge usability improvement over Windows 8, but it looks more and more like spyware masquerading as an operating system. I think that's a good call. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge post. Lots of stuff. He switches to Ubuntu. He tries Mint. He tries all these different distributions. He goes on to say, what I like least 
about Linux is the occasional need to do something that would be downright daunting to a new user. No one should ever have to open a command line window and type sudo apt-get update or other instructions. No one should be confronted with a warning that space on a disk is too low to permit an operating system update requiring the not simple for novices removal of out-of-date OS components. When a problem occurs, though, the communities that have emerged around free and open source software are incredibly helpful because I tend to push the edges somewhat in my adoption of this stuff. I often am asking for help. I always get it. Some super experts in these forums can be condescending or even rude if one asks something they consider trivial or more reasonably a question that could have been answered in a bit more research. Helpfulness and occasional imperatives are also part of Windows, Mac, and mobile ecosystems or impatience. Hardcore Apple devotees can be astonishingly abusive to non-faithful, but there are special sprints among open tech folks who are working the common goods. Special spirits. Special spirits. Uh, Noah, what I wanted to talk about with you here is mm -hmm. this is his long way of saying, you know what, if I ask the right question, the community isn't that hostile to me. Right. What happens is the community is hostile when I ask a question that I probably should have been asking Google or DuckDuckGo. And uh, as a couple of uh, guys here that have worked with the Linux community for a long time, and more than our, our fair share, have had to go out and say, okay, I know I should know better, but how do I do this? Mm -hmm. What's your experience been with the community's reaction to genuine feedback and questions? Yeah, I mean, so I don't, you know, like you said, you and I have <clears throat> existed in this world long enough that we know what questions not to ask. And if we are going to ask, we know to preface them with, here are the things I Googled. Here are the things I found. Right. Here's how they help me. Here's the question I still have. Yeah. What am I? I yeah. know I'm missing something simple, but what is it? And then you can you can kind of coax people into that answer. Although I will take this opportunity to say this. Jason um, at, uh, I think it was Self last year, gave a fantastic presentation. It's available on YouTube. You should totally watch it. On how we as a community have got to get over ourselves by telling people, you know, RTFM or, or, or use Google or whatever. People have gen people have questions. Is sometimes it inspired from laziness and 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 learned helplessness because they don't want to do anything themselves? Yes. Does that give us an excuse to be jerks on the internet? And does that drive people out of our community? Because you know, for every eight people that were just lazy or didn't bother to actually Google it, there was two people that you know tried but they didn't know what to Google or whatever. Yeah, that happens, and we need to curb that. So it's I don't tolerate that as an excuse when you know when I hear it from other people, and I certainly don't do it myself. If I have a question, even if it's a noob question, even if it's simple, even if it's all over the freaking internet, I'm more than happy to answer it in a polite, uh, you know, concise manner, um, or link them to something that 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 describes, you know, maybe read this particular uh, piece of this webpage. This is, I think, is the answer you're looking for. But just not answering the question or being condescending, I don't think there's any excuse for that. I don't care if the answer is all over the internet. Um, that said. Yes, I get. I, I think that the community is extraordinarily helpful when you go and ask the question the proper way, and when you've taken the time to try to help yourself, and it didn't work out, and you're stuck, and you just need some help. And not only do they answer the question full and concisely, but they do it quickly. If I post something on the internet, I'm checking probably within an hour or so to see if somebody has responded. And usually, I get my answer pretty quick. And if that's not fast enough, there's always IRC. Yeah, good point. Uh, Producer Q5Sys, quick on the draw, actually has linked to the uh, scale. Uh, I'm sorry, well, it wasn't scale, was it? It was, uh, it was self. It was self. self. It's angry noobs and 
and it so, is a, it is it is one of the best it is one of the best most concise presentations i have ever heard regarding the community aspect of linux it's it's fantastic well producer q5 sys was quick on the draw so i have that linked in the show notes if you guys want to watch that entire presentation i will after the show you're right noah uh it, it yeah it is sort of a mixed bag there uh, and i want to get your take on his opinion about this last point it's almost certainly too late for Linux to be hugely popular on the desktop. No, no I don't agree at all. I don't agree at all. In fact, I think that I, I think we've never been at a time where we are more divided in in the operating system world. I think that Windows has gone all sorts of crazy directions. Mac OS has, has has gone all sorts of crazy directions, and the software ecosystem in and of itself has gone a completely different direction than anyone would have anticipated. And the web has gotten more relevant than we could have ever imagined. That's that is the direction that I don't think anyone thought software was going to go. I think everyone it, 10 years ago was thinking it's yeah. going to be on Windows, it's going to be on Mac, it's going to be on Linux, it's going to be on this. I don't think anywhere in the wildest dreams did anyone ever think 10 or 15 years ago mm -hmm. we'd be editing video or editing pictures through our web browser. Yeah. And now it the, seems the, like... You know, it's really it's funny you say that because the best photo manager I have ever found is Google mm -hmm. Photos. I'm not a big Google yeah. fan. I'm not a big of, I'm not a big fan of web applications even. Google Photos right. is legit and there's no way mm -hmm. I can get away from that. And so being able to integrate web applications on my Linux mm -hmm. desktop just like I can integrate them on any other desktop, that's a huge win. Uh, he goes on to say that, uh, please remember, we do have choices. We can make decisions and push the boundaries of tech freedom. What I like a lot about Dan Gilmore's uh, post here is he talks a lot about voting with your use case. He talks about how uh, just having the ability to make choices is so important as right. these different platforms get more locked down. It's a really good read. I will have it linked in the show notes. I recommend you guys check it out because uh, it's a hoorah article if I've ever read one. And it's nice to see somebody who's been using a MacBook for years find Linux and then say, you know what, these attributes of it long term, not even the use of the, of the software, but what it means long term, me using this and to see a new user kind of discover that is pretty cool. And we have that linked in the show notes. You guys can check that out. But that is all the news for this week. Let's go get our wish list. I've been looking forward all week to this segment. Now it is time to tell you about the things that we wish happen in Linux land in 2016. You know, pie in the sky stuff, but if it all worked out, we think Linux would be better for it. Before I get to that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Linux Academy, creators of a system designed to train Linux enthusiasts. You know, those of us who actually know the difference between LS and DIR or top and something on the like task manager on the Linux side, or on the Windows side. You know, those of us who actually know what these systems are and follow this stuff on a daily basis, that's Linux Academy. Because people who are truly enthusiastic about Linux, and probably would have liked to have been podcasters themselves, but Linux Action Show beat them to it. Just saying! So they got smart and created the Linux Academy platform. They have over 2,000 videos where you can get self-paced courses to learn, get downloadable comp comprehensive study guides, and instructor help is available whenever you need it. That's a big plus. They have scenario-based labs, so you get real hands-on experience. They have graded server exercises, so that way you get real-time feedback. They have a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members and seven-plus Linux distros for you to choose from that automatically adjust the virtual machine and the learning material. Isn't that slick? Noah, I don't know if you knew this either, but they have team 
counts available. So if you wanted, I don't know. I mean, I'm just putting this out there. But say AltoSpeed wanted to help train up new staff members, you could have a group mm-hmm. account where you could manage it and work with them. It's pretty cool. And I hear there may be some cool stuff coming down the pipe that might even be more applicable to AltoSpeed. So if you're in a business or a group of people, it's worth checking out because there could be some nice features for folks just like you. Yeah, actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, that would be something that we'd love to offer to uh, to our team members as a as a benefit is to to give them access to that. You know, the thing is, we've only, we've we've done very limited in-house training for the most part. What we've done is we let people follow around somebody else who's been through professional training, um, and that training has been the traditional classroom teacher, very expensive hotel meals, all that kind right. of stuff, paid for. Um, but this is a way we could get that training into the hands of literally everyone, uh, you know, on a nominal cost. So it's definitely it's definitely something I'm going to look yeah. into. I wasn't aware of that team training. I'll no, and you know out. the cool thing about uh, really if you if you have the time and you can go in there, they have a bunch of different kind of courses that will break down. Like, okay, you only have so much time available. Well, why don't you take this kind of courseware? And they have it. They have it like a decision engine that says, or they call it an availability planner. And the availability planner says, okay, I've got Tuesday, I've got Thursday, and you know, I have a little bit of time Sunday evening to learn mm-hmm. something. And they will automatically generate courseware for you. So that's really nice. They also have the nuggets, which are deep dives into individual courses. And and Noah, something else that I think is really cool is they stay really on top of the Red Hat certified stuff. So if that's an area mm-hmm. that is professionally of an interest to you. Not Linux really. Academy really has it. Yeah, yeah. Not an interest to you at all. No. <laughs> no. Build the whole business on it. Not an interest to you. Also, OpenStack, Android, DevOps, Amazon Web Services, all of it. Go check it out. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. We're bringing over the Linux Unplugged discount to the Linux Action Show audience. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. I think it's a pretty great service. And I think it's really cool that a bunch of really passionate Linux users got together and created the platform. And go check out the nuggets because that's almost worth it right there. Some deep dive right into a singular topic. I mean, maybe as somebody who has to come up with weekly topics, I feel like this is a pretty good idea. But I think it's pretty neat. Linuxacademy.com slash nuggets to see those. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to support this here show. All right, Mr. Noah. So last week we decided let's give our wish list of things we want to happen uh, in Linux land for 2016. Not necessarily practical and and not necessarily expected to happen. But boy, if we had a magic wand, we would have these things happen. Uh, and this first one is mine. It's probably not all of that surprising to those of you who've watched the show for a while. I would like to see in 2016 a new effort to distance Android from Google. For the desktop, we start. We are starting this uh, last couple of weeks to see something that may propose a solution called Remix OS. Uh, it's Android for the desktop, and it works with nearly any PC. Of course, they don't have a download available yet, but it makes Android into a windy, windowing desktop environment. CyanogenMod is out there. Uh, of course, they're now in bed with Microsoft, integrating Cortana and all of the OneDrive crap. I would like to see a real true, like, let's take ASOP or something, you know, damn close to it, or AO- AOSP, and let's make a real competitive desktop distribution. Because what I'd really like to see at the end of the day is a little open source desktop competition. 
I'm sick and tired of competing with Windows and Mac OS. Those guys are off on their own crazy vision of the future that they think is going to sell them some hardware, and that's what they're all into. I want to see really great ideas versus really great ideas with the core motive being, let's make a great desktop. I would like to see Android come along, kick some ass in the open source desktop space, something not directly tied to Googs, and something that sort of spurs on the GNOME 3s and the Plasma 5 desktops of the world. What do you think, Don? I think that I have yet to find, uh, I, I've yet to see the real advantage of Android being used as a desktop. I Android don't really apps. Like it as, well, yeah, but they're not going to scale necessarily to a desktop anyway. So I basically have, I mean, the, the times that I've tried to run, you know, through like the extensions and stuff like that, what I get is basically a phone screen in the middle of my desktop. And that's not real preferable, and I don't really like Android. Well, to this with wish list would be something like uh, something like we're seeing here with this uh, with this Remix OS here. What are they mm -hmm. calling it? Remix OS. So something where they've they've gone and they've they've thought of that. They've thought okay. of that. I mean, this is something that's supposedly going to ship by the end of this month. Hmm. And then uh, somehow they have they work with the app developers to to rewindow their app so that no, they, I think they, they do that part. They oh, they do. Okay, so then they so it's not on the app developer. So yeah, then I guess I could see it. Um, Although to be fair, there, there are there are a few cases where there are things that are on my phone where I'd be like, oh, that'd be great if I could use it on my on my on my desktop. But oh, um, I'm not saying I would use it. Yeah, well, I'm saying I want it. I want a I want a competitive like open source desktop that open source is almost forced to respond to that isn't the proprietary offerings from Microsoft and Apple. Okay, that's something, fair. So something basically new. something just to stir the pot a little bit yeah. to drive Linux. Forward. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be successful, but just something to stir the pot a little bit. Okay. Uh, I like your next one. Yeah, so I am looking for a collaborative editing suite on uh, on on Linux. Now, Google Docs is great if you've ever had to work with somebody else real-time editing documents, and it's, it's definitely the best option out there so far, but I hate it, and I hate it for a number of reasons. The first off, and which is why today when I just went to reorganize some show notes, I actually copied it into G-Edit and did it there, is because I can't right-click and copy and paste, and it destroys my mental paradigm of how I'm supposed to interact with a web browser. Everywhere in the web browser, I immediately start to rule out most keyboard commands with the exception of copy and paste because usually um, you know that kind of stuff doesn't really work and so I, I go into context mode I have to use the uh, I have to use my mouse to highlight text for the most part and the fact that I can't just right click on that on where my hand already is on the text that I'm already on and copy stuff like that just drives me nuts that and I also have have have, have stirred up a tremendous uh, frustration in Chris because Google reformats the 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 um, certain certain um, formatting issues uh, with the way that we do the show notes, and Google Docs screws that up, and it, and it just doesn't work. So what I would really like is a native app, something I could edit offline um, and do things like collaborative editing, but bring it online and work with somebody else or share with somebody else on the Linux desktop. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, and of course you've you've seen LibreOffice built into own cloud mm -hmm. and things like that, but it yeah, doesn't we're, offer we're close. it doesn't offer close. real time, right? It's yeah. Google Docs is still real time. Yet, yeah, yeah I, I completely back you on this wish list. This is something I definitely would love to see and I'd love to know what the audience is currently doing if they have something that kind of answers this. Let us know at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. We'll have a feedback thread for uh, 3.99. Okay. So here's mine, and I feel like this wish is kind of going out there a little bit, and I want to preface, I don't think this applies to everybody. This is only going to apply to a certain subset of users. I believe, and I wish, that more frustrated Mac users 
are going to switch to Linux in 2016. For a certain class of users, the Mac OS X desktop can be very frustrating. It's supposed mm -hmm. to just work, and a great deal of things do work, but just enough doesn't work that it's crazy frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, and certain sacred lines as geeks constantly get crossed by Apple. Uh, mm -hmm. The Mac Ports project is a royal pain compared to Linux package managers. Brew, which is another package manager available for OS X, doesn't have enough software, isn't anywhere near as complete as the AUR or Debian or Ubuntu repos. The lack of proper home and up, page down, uh, those kind of keys is completely frustrating. Uh, there's tons of quirks that just don't necessarily work. Performance optimizations of new software seems to end whenever something works okay on a current piece of Mac hardware, which means it doesn't take long for existing expensive Mac hardware to essentially, essentially be obsoleted even in minor ways. And mm -hmm. it has a very expensive ecosystem with no actual lock-in. Like, there's nothing that, I mean, there's the Mac App Store, but it completely sucks balls, and nobody buys apps from it. There's nothing that really locks you in to the Mac. Everything that Apple offers, you can pretty much use on any other platform. iOS doesn't even require the Mac. There's nothing, mm. like, there's no big, like, account lock-in or data lock-in on the Mac platform, so it makes mm -hmm. it ripe for the switching. So what I am saying is a current category of users, uh, web developers, and certain types of application developers, and admins, obviously, and a whole category of technical users who maybe in 2011, 2012, when Unity was introduced, were sick and tired of unreliable Linux hardware support, unreliable Linux desktop uh, trajectories, and they bought into the MacBook hype, and they got themselves a MacBook. Well, here we are in 2016, and guess what? The last two or three releases of macOS have been complete garbage. They're unstable. They peaked at Snow Leopard. Anybody who uses macOS 10 in production knows it's true. The hardware is fairly unimpressive compared to a lot of other alternatives. There was a period of time where the MacBook was clear, far, and above, better designed, better built than a lot of competitors. But now, in 2016, guess what? The marketplace is looking a lot healthier, and there's a lot more competition to the MacBook. And a lot of us just need a terminal. We need SSH. We need basic web browser, Firefox or Chrome, and we're pretty much good to go. And for a huge amount of users, that's going to make the Linux desktop way more viable. And I will stand by this fact. A very well-configured and managed Linux desktop is more performant, more reliable, and more consistent than the Mac desktop between release and release. And so mm -hmm. I think there's a new category of users who's bought into the MacBook hype a few years ago who are coming back to Linux this year. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of them are going to land on Unity and GNOME. And that's why I... I'm going to, I'll talk about this more in a future wish list. I think all hopes are on Unity 8, but also on the GNOME desktop. I feel like, I'm not talking like all the users. I'm not even going to say more people are going to switch to Linux than Macs. What I'm saying mm -hmm. is a bunch of people who bought Macs a few years ago that are technical and don't really have uh, any investment in like the Photoshop's. Or, uh, any, or, or Microsoft Office are going to make the switch back to the Linux platform, and it's actually going to be a noticeable amount. You think I'm crazy? Mm -hmm. No, no, I don't. In fact, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you, uh, the, 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 the only part that gives me pause is I don't meet a lot of pay people that are on the, the Mac platform that are unhappy with it. Um, 
most people are, you know, they're, 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 once they once they get over there, they're pretty happy. I see a ton of people that could have been using Linux from the get go, and I don't think they would have had any measurable difference, uh, you know, user uh, user experience at least from an operating system standpoint had they switched to Linux to begin with. But I, you know, I think there's going to have to be some really compelling things, and maybe that compelling thing is the future direction of Apple, the future direction of Mac OS, and uh, you know, the the, the limited customizability. I kind of feel Mac like Mac. you're talking about the regular everyday user. I'm and just I, talking about people I meet at the conference. I'm talking about I'm talking about I'm talking about guys that are or gals that are that are anal about getting work done that uh, yeah. are anal about the performance of their system uh, eight months after they've installed it that mm -hmm. uh, live in the terminal that live in the web browser that live in a text editor. Uh, these people mm -hmm. don't need to be subjective to the whims. Of a large commercial platform that mm -hmm. that wants to set the vision of the future, the iPad Pro, for example, right? And so, yeah. for a lot of people, they're completely un the majority of users are completely unaware of all of the subtext that's going on. The users that are aware of the subtext, the users that are aware that their their very expensive mm -hmm. shiny hardware mm -hmm. should be giving them more. Those people, mm -hmm. I think, will be switching to your Ubuntu's and your Fedoras. That's where I see the switch. That's my wish: is that they wake up, they see that, and they acknowledge the strategy tax of their platform mm -hmm. vendor is too much uh, uh, when they just want to get their work done. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm right on board with you for sure. That's uh, it definitely would be nice. I think as a Linux community to facilitate that, we need to make sure that when we are uh, releasing distros, when we are looking at things, we make sure to be conscious and conscientious of the fact that it needs that there are a, a group of people that may be trying to use this on their existing hardware and that hardware needs to be supported needs to work mm. and so we need to make an emphasis to make sure that uh, that that you know when we release the new version of 1604 we need to make sure that canonical uh, you know you guys need to make sure that that stuff is working on you know the the, the latest iterations of <clears throat> of the mac and and some you know i'm not a developer and i'm certainly i have no idea what i'm asking it could be extraordinarily difficult and maybe impossible but uh, it's it's one of those universal app type things. One of those things that we we wish for, and then everyone tells us why we can't do it. It's it's it is going to be a roadblock if somebody wants to switch to Linux and they can't get it to install on their existing hardware. So the cost of switching to Linux is going to cost them a you know a thousand dollars or more. Yeah, it's a real hindrance for some people. A lot of people, most people. Speaking of switching to Linux, but maybe on a cheaper spectrum, your next wish list is about maybe some hardware devices. Yeah, so I have long since been very happy with Unify access points. They're amazing, and the you cloud mean control. Unity the cloud. or is it Unify? I, Unity well, access Ubiquity point? is the company oh, that Ubiquity. Make the, okay. They make the Unify access points. Okay. But they, um, the the cloud controller, they call it cloud controller. But basically, you install a, a piece of software on a on a Linux box, and then you point the the access points to that controller, and the process can actually be automated. And so a lot of people immediately when I say I would like a Linux distro tailored for access points, immediately will just say, well, there's OpenWRT. You could just use that. And that's great. Yeah. If you have an access point at your house or you got five in an office or hell, even 20, you know, inside of a small office building, not that big of a deal to go to a web config at 20 different access points and channel them and set them up. But when you go into a hotel and you have 10 access points, uh, you know, per hallway, and you have 10 hallways per floor, and you have 10 floors per hotel. I mean, you, you start deploying a couple hundred access points, that's just not, it just doesn't scale. And so what we need is a managed access point system, a way that I can take a bunch of access points or flash a bunch of consumer grade hardware with access point software and have them, uh, you know, essentially adopt into a central controller and provision them that way. We're so close. We have things like OpenWRT, and I would have 
not really gone down this track had I not seen how scale uh, yeah. consumer grade right. hardware. I remember provide, last year. I mean, literally the best Wi-Fi I've ever had at any conference is run on the cheapest hardware using open source software. And and it, it you know, and, and the thing is, I didn't even know what it was until after I was like, man, you guys really nailed Wi-Fi. Like every other conference, it drops out. It's been solid. And I was actually streaming on the Wi-Fi as we were walking around the conference hall. And I'm like, I how is that even possible? Are you guys, you guys using Ruckus, Cisco? And he's like, we're using Netgear routers. We bought at Best Buy for 59 bucks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I, that can't be right. I, I, mean, I mean, like the Wi-Fi that I'm on right now. And he's like, yeah, we flashed them with OpenWRT. And I'm like, You've got to be kidding me. So that kind of set into motion the there is a huge market for people like me who are deploying this stuff, who would love to do it with open source software and would love to do it on less expensive hardware. And so and yep. the hardware exists for yep. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Somebody to, to make the software. So that, that's that's a wish is that we'd have an, uh, an operating a Linux distro tailored for managed access point use. Interesting. Uh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, and of course, Wi-Fi just seems to be getting more and more uh, ubiquitous. Ubiquitous? Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. right. So I'm going to shift gears from hardware to talk about distros. I would love to see, my wish is that there is a rolling release of Ubuntu in 2016. I'm not saying Ubuntu switches to rolling. I would just like to have, as, as an enthusiast who wants to play with all of the new toys that are going to be shipping in Ubuntu throughout 2016, I would love to have a rolling release that has a huge repo, massive support, and maybe it goes through their automated testing system, or at least has a lot of testers. So a daily updates from Ubuntu for those of us that want to run Mir, and, and you know Unity eight and and, and ZFS and all of these. And, and I want to go from sixteen oh four to sixteen ten, completely seamless. Like I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy on the internet that's like. Oh, you're just now updating to 16.10? Yeah, that's interesting. Ooh. I've been running that for the last three months on the uh, Ubuntu rolling, and I would link to that. I'm not actually going to do that, but I want to be able to be that guy. So my wish for 2016 is a version of Ubuntu goes rolling. And and maybe it's like the one the developers themselves are using or something mm -hmm. like that. Would you try it, Noah? Absolutely. Here's the thing. In I, I like my LTSs. I'd like those to stick around. But in between that, I think rolling almost – what is the point of the in-between releases? I mean, really – we don't, they don't really stop because I, I don't know the whole concept of, uh, of in between the two year cycle, those, those releases that come out in between there, they don't really make any sense to me. I don't understand why those aren't rolling. It doesn't, nobody, anyone that wants a solid point to stop at and say, we are going to stop at X and pause for a couple of years and just only the minimum maintenance until we get to the next big milestone and then stop and pause and wait till we climb back up. Those people, they're using LTS. All the other people in between are downloading the, are downloading those in between releases the day they come out and installing them on their machine. So why not just give them that software as soon as it becomes available? I think that, I think that's the only logical step. And frankly, I think that that could almost be a prediction because I think that they're very close to doing that. I think more and more things are going rolling, but I'm 100% behind you with that. I, I hope so. All yeah. right, so you and I both had a wish list that kind of was the same, and it's a uh, you put down a, a client GUI sync, and I mm -hmm. put down full sync thing integration with GNOME files. So why don't you mm -hmm. start, and then I'll follow up. So you wanted something that was out of the box, like a GUI sync interface, right? Right. So what I'm looking for is a straight-up Dropbox replacement. Like, basically, what, what Dropbox does, or in my case, because I haven't, I, I haven't really extensively used Dropbox, but I've used own, cl cl own cloud sync until it destroys my data, and then I stop using yep. it. And then I try again, then I stop you. But um, the, if I, that's what I want. I want to go to the software center. I want to download a, a GUI. I want to double click on the GUI, type in my username, my password, my host, click OK, 
set up my directory and then click okay and then yeah. i want it to say i don't yeah. want to go to a website yeah. i don't right. want to browse i don't want to have a local web server running. set up a so user account i don't want to do that i i don't i don't want any of that i just want a client that syncs my files i don't even i don't want a command line thing i don't want a daemon right no, 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 no i just the client that syncs my stuff if i could have that and it was open source it would change my life because i have i i made the mistake of trying open cloud or, or of own cloud and it did two things it frustrated the heck out of me. It made me really upset. I lost a bunch of data. So that's more than two things. I lost a bunch of data, but my eyes were opened into the heaven blissfulness of having multiple copies of my data on multiple computers rather than having a stupid little thumb drive that I lose every 10 minutes and get really upset. Yeah, good point. All right, so I'm going to take what you just said, and I'm going to, uh, this, is, this is, we came up with our predictions on our own separately, and uh, this was my prediction, and I kind of hinted at this last week, or this is my wish, and I kind of hinted this during my prediction last week, is I want to see Sync Thing integrated with GNOME files. Nautilus, Nemo, whatever you want to call it. I want to see full-on, like, you go into the preferences, there's a tab for sync thing, you do a couple of checkboxes, and every GNOME desktop you have is automatically syncing files peer-to-peer, no third-party service, no proprietary software, no user account required, all you need is the GNOME desktop, and you just need to know the key, and you can exchange files. My dream here is... It's just an option in GNOME files in the hamburger menu. If you don't ever want it, you don't ever even know about it. But baked into one of the most advanced Linux desktops is an advanced syncing protocol that all of your Linux machines could work together right there in the file manager. Nothing else needed but the GNOME desktop right out of the box. Wouldn't that be something? So Q5 actually in the chat room is telling us that this actually exists right now. He says that systemd has the capable of Capability of doing that. And, system D and, does? So, oh, I, I think he's pulling your leg. System and, D? Like, and is, you know what? And, go ahead. Let's let's go for sync thing system D integration. He's a blog article to explain exactly how this can be done with, the, with nothing more than the file manager and system D. <laughs> okay. <laughs> system D to the rescue. Uh, so that would be sort of our overlapping wish list would be some sort of really obvious. And I want to go back to my prediction episode. I, I, I think... LAN file sharing and just really, you know, here's two laptops and now we want to exchange files. That is particularly weak under Linux. If you don't have some sort of underlying Samba or NFS config or SSH config set up, you don't have some sort of automatic network discovery daemon set up, you are completely lost. So there is no guarantee that two Linux users can sit down on a LAN and actually exchange files. It's embarrassing. And in 2016, there are so many open source solutions to solving this problem that it's almost borderline malpractice that we haven't integrated one into a, at least one desktop environment. So at least on LAN, I mean, you're right that you need Samba, but Ubuntu has made it pretty pain, brain dead simple to set up Samba. You right click on the folder, you click local network share, and you check the box yeah. that says share this folder. No guarantee that the other person on another version of Linux will have any capability at all of browsing, mounting, authenticating, yeah. and copying files off that share. Well, There's no guarantee. Yes. There's a likelihood that it is higher yeah. than it was five years ago, but it is right. still nowhere near, it is nowhere near even 95%. And but it needs we, to we, be now a... Now we're going back into that whole operating system versus distro debate. And 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 so in, 
if we take every different distro as a different operating system, right? Then, then I would say this that, is the problem, know, and this is where we have been stuck for the last decade, and it is embarrassing as far as desktop usability goes. It's embarrassing. It's the Mac OS has um, AirDrop, Windows has their easy sharing crap, their their family sharing crap. It is mm -hmm. every other desktop environment that has any significant desktop share has solved this, and mm -hmm. and it, this is one of those solutions where we've already written the code to do the syncing. We, we all, it's yeah. all yeah. it's all a compatible license like yeah. everything we need is there but because there is not one um, I, I guess it requires a, a dictator that runs a company with a commercial interest to say hey let's take component yeah. a and integrate it with component B and mm -hmm. let's ship that because there's nobody doing that it hasn't happened but if we integrated sync thing which I think over 2015 and now here we here we are in early 2016 I think over 2015 sync thing got legit it went from like hey I'm not even going to use this to this is what I'm using now to synchronize all of my passwords and I have installed on all of my Linux desktops and so now the next step is let's integrate it with some project maybe projects maybe it's not gnome Maybe it's not files in Nautilus, but something out there, a backup in time, or some kind of like backup application that could just integrate sync thing. That's what I would like to see happen in 2016. Uh, and kind well, of, yeah. I'm right there. I'm, no, I'm just going to say, I'm right there with you. I, 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 I see where you're going, and, and I like it. I just, um, I, I'm not, I, I guess I'm... Definitely over the internet, I definitely see your point. On the LAN, I'm I, I guess I'm still not entirely convinced it's it's that big of a problem. Um, really, really? No, I, just, I guess. I guess. How I do how do your how do users use support share files between each other right now? Well, they write. I mean, Samba. That you set but up. They're, they're using a button, huh? No, 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 no. I, they, they right click on the folder, click share this folder, and check the little box that's just share this folder. I don't believe it you. does everything. You're right. It's using Samba. It's I don't believe. I I do not believe that two end users under Linux came. Two end users who are not day to day Linux users that don't you know they're just mm -hmm. using it because it's a work machine. Mm -hmm. I I don't accept that those two people could figure out how to share files. I really? just don't. I don't think that happens in the real world. I think it is. I think mm. it is just a little too complicated. It's and and okay. Maybe if everybody's on the same exact distro with the same exact version, using the same exact file manager, all on a LAN with properly set up DHCP and properly mm. set up DNS, then I believe that condition could exist. Barring all of yeah, those okay, things, I, see, I, I think I see where you're getting. Okay, so okay, I think I see what you're getting at. So we're we're we are assuming that the, that the person that's doing this has no concept of like how to get an IP address, and that it's using Samba, so that you'd have to connect to a Samba. We're assuming like somebody like um like my wife or like I wouldn't show them at not all. Even, not even not even your wife. Your wife is more technical. I'm I'm thinking just your average yeah. user who says, hey, I okay. have this thing on my computer, yep, and I yep, want to put yep, it yep. on your computer. Yeah, okay. Or, uh, yeah, I wasn't and, and you know you what, you know what's, you know what's even more legitimate mm -hmm. than that, and and this because mm -hmm. we're straying away. It's really what's more legitimate and and way more common than that is, mm -hmm. I own a laptop and a desktop, and I want to mm -hmm. I want to share the two files in my home directory between each other. And you know what mm -hmm. I do right now? Today I go get Dropbox. Today I get Dropbox. There is mm -hmm. no reason that. I think 90% of the reasons that average users get Dropbox could be replaced by SyncThing integration with a Linux file manager. And mm -hmm. I, 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 that is it. Like, if you have ever needed the use of Dropbox or another mm -hmm. syncing solution, then mm -hmm. I think this prediction could, uh, or this wish, 
uh, would would actually apply to you. And it, it could be everything from sh- I, I focused on the land file sharing because I, I just I think it's just atrocious that Linux is is that weak mm-hmm. in that area. So mm-hmm. that's where I focus. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's anybody that wants to share files between multiple devices. And, and, and a lot of users have desktops and laptops or desktops mm-hmm. and phones, mm-hmm. right? And so SyncThing integrated with the file manager would give people the ability with an Android or any other kind of smartphone, the ability to share mm-hmm. files between their just, I just installed this distro out of the box and now I can get to the files on my smartphone. It's completely secure. It doesn't rely mm-hmm. on a third party. It's encrypted. I have full control it's, over it. It's the exact kind of empowerment that open source should bring to end users and all it requires right. is bringing two different projects together and they don't even really have to work that closely that together. Exists, yeah. yeah. It took me a little bit to get on your page, but I'm 100%, 100% with you now. I, I agree. If if you're just looking you know, for the ability to just move a file from one thing to the other, I, not not necessarily setting up a network share, but just dragging a file from one computer to the other, moving something over quickly, simply and efficiently. I'm 100 percent there yeah. with you. And I mean, at the end of the day, ideally, room. I would I would like to. Here's how I would like to move files between computers. I make an IP connection to you, right? And I do a, I open a socket using a TCP mm-hmm. transfer. You open a socket, and I transfer you this data over the network at LAN mm-hmm. speeds. You receive that file on your computer. We close the connection, and we're done. Nice mm-hmm. direct direct over the LAN. That's mm-hmm. ideal. Guess what? That, that's never worked. That it, here we are 30 years into networking in my personal experience and users still haven't figured it out. Yeah. You need software that automatically detects each other, sets each other up, communicates, gets it encrypted, gets it secure, and shares the files. And you need end users to be able to just go, I put the file in this folder and now it's everywhere. And, and yeah. it's just right there. We just have to embrace it. You know, and the funny thing is, too, is we have done this on every other level. You know, if you open, what's that uh, messenger that... Um, is it Pigeon? It automatically detects other uh, computers that already have Pigeon installed. Yeah, if you have the uh, if you have the DNS stuff installed. Yeah. No, no, no. You don't even need DNS. It's just anything you do, else. It's just it's just Ubuntu as installed by default. You need the Vahi DNS to automatically discover other devices on the network, and then and it, it automatically it, populates Pigeon. Yeah, and it figures all that. See, yeah. it's it, it's doing it so seamlessly that I didn't even know it was running DNS. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. that DNS. Was, right. I exactly. It's that same all thing. All I did was open Pigeon, and boom, it shows up. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And so this is kind of, so branching off of this, this brings on the next wish list item. Here's, here's a whole set of technology that we kind of have today. We just have to put it all together. And that is, and I know, I know you, you got to at least agree with this. Oh, yeah. Universal oh, yeah. application install across all distros in 2016. I was so mad that you stole this. As soon as I saw it in the list, I'm like, ah, oh, he took it. That was, the, that was the one when you said yeah. we were doing a wish list. I'm like, that's mine. Yeah, of it. course it and is. It. Of course it is, because it is the number one problem that all new users think about when they switch to Linux. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you know what? I, I so desperately want it that if it has to be ButterFS sub-volumes, I'll take it. <laughs> like, ButterFS, I'll take it. I'll, I, I will live with ButterFS if you that's what it takes. You'll applications, but at least you'll have the ability to install them. <laughs> you know, you, you, if it could be sandbox and delivered over ButterFS mm-hmm. sub-volumes, I'm, I'm ready today. And I would love to see, even if it's not completely done yet, something that is a equivalent to universal applications across distros. And maybe, mm-hmm. say, by the end of 2016, because I want to be kind of pragmatic with my wish, by the end of 2016, I would love to be able to run the same application, like a container or a disk image or a subvolume on Arch, Fedora, and like. Hmm, I don't want to say Ubuntu because I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why not? I'm going to say OpenSUSE uh, uh, Tumbleweed. Well, why is Ubuntu unfair? Just to, to spice it up. To spice it oh, up. Okay. So well, I, I want to be able to. I want to be able to take the same application installed on Arch, 
Fedora and Tumbleweed. So all pretty modern des- distros that have a current kernel-ish, mm-hmm. have you know nice uh, uh, you know nice desktop environments. So mm-hmm. that would be my wish list. And of course, obviously Ubuntu would be in there too. But that's my wish for 2016: is universal application install across an RPM distro, a uh, Arch distro, and mm-hmm. well, I guess Fedora is a Let's just, okay, fine, Ubuntu too, so I can say that. Let's go ahead and do some preemptive uh, feedback control. The first thing that everyone that's watching the show is right now, you're probably halfway through banging this out in a a contact form to send us hate mail. Everyone is saying universal app control limits freedom, and we should embrace the fact that every different distro Is that what they sound like? Individual freedom. How do you know that's what they sound like when you're reading email? Because that's what they sound like. I'm not oh, talking to these oh, people. Okay. I, I'm telling you, firsthand experience, that's what these people sound like. They talk Proprietary like software is not ethical. And so they say that we limit freedom, and that's why we can't have this, because it would never work, and that every every distro, because of our enormous freedom and wonderful freedom, has limited the ability to have one central installer and that nobody would agree on it. And we should just embrace the fact that there's a bunch of change. And to that, yeah. to those of you, I, here's what I say. I say that every person I have ever switched to Linux at one time or another has asked the question, why isn't there a .tux? That seems to be the most popular extension that they instead of VXA. Ooh, dot .tux but, is cute. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, whatever it is, everyone asks the question, why every other operating system has some sort of a universal installer and Linux doesn't. The only answer I have to you is, is, is if you stop looking <clears throat> at Linux as a cohesive operating system and look at every single distro as its own independent operating system. And if you want to take that logic, then that's fine. Then, then, we, then basically what you're saying is, I wish that Ubuntu had a centralized uh, you know, universal installer. And that, that's okay. Yeah, Except here's the thing. Then you have to accept the fact that we can no longer say, well, you ha- you can use any version of Linux you want because Linux is great and we have different variants of... Bl- no, 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 no. We have 350 different operating systems and you have no idea which one you're going to use. So we all better rally around a single operating system since 350 can simultaneously. And it's, just, it's this endless argument and it just drives me nuts. No. I, yeah. I mean, I, I understand your pain and I okay. see how it tears you That's up good. on the inside, Noah, yeah. and I, I connect Blood with that. Uh, however, uh, I want you to take a breath. Calm okay. down. I got good news. Okay. Uh, that was 2014's problem. Oh. I would like to introduce you to uh, the era of systemd and okay. butterfs and uh, Linux kernel 4.x that has mm-hmm. C groups and namespaces. We okay. now live in a new paradigm okay. that all of us, if you have even a semi-relevant distro, now have all of the same tool sets. We are now more common than we have ever been. We have all of the best parts of BSD and we're still GPL. We've got a central system core with core utils. We have got a very common kernel that has the same features for a long time across multiple distros, including LTSs and enterprise releases like Red Hat 7. We are no longer dealing with the, it is a completely different operating system when you hit a different distro. There are certain commonalities now that you can guarantee. You're almost, if you're on a desktop environment, you can almost guarantee GTK3 support. You can mm-hmm. almost guarantee namespace support. You can almost guarantee that the system is using system D and that it has mm-hmm. a network connection and mm-hmm. that it has kernel four something. Like these are all major assumptions you can now make. And so, mm-hmm. That's why one more one more wish list is if you if you take all of these common variables across all of the popular distros, mm-hmm. OpenSUSE, uh, Fedora, Arch, Debian, Ubuntu. Uh, what else am I missing? What else is super? You know, everything based on these distros is now using right. some, except for Mint, which is still using Upstart, but it will switch to System D. These are all common 
assumptions you can now make as a developer that Linux has certain components. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't actually and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I mm-hmm. don't think you're actually fully grokking what a huge deal that is compared to Linux three years ago. The, yeah. To be able to make the common assumption that all of these things are available on all of these different distributions is a fundamentally different Linux than it was a few years ago. And so, Absolutely, but there are still exceptions. I mean, you still have the, I mean, you, Q5Sys is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Puppy is never going to use, at least not to any time in the near future, is never going to use systemd. Because they have too many things good. that are based on it. Good, well, good. I'm just saying that for that's for, for that niche of user, good, and it will be. Con- and, and you know what? It'll continue to serve a niche. Uh, and so uh, here's where I want to. Uh, my point is with these things in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see, and of course this is GTK heavy because I've just over the years come to prefer the GTK desktop. Mm-hmm. I would like to see GNOME Builder. This is my next wish list item. I would like to see GNOME Builder become the obvious on ramp. For developers that are considering developing for Linux for the first time, you know, not people mm-hmm. that are necessarily very savvy on Linux, but mm-hmm. uh, something that if I'm coming in, it's an obvious choice for companies and indie developers how to jump into Linux desktop from an app mm-hmm. development, creation, deployment, mm-hmm. and support standpoint. These are all, and this is something we've we've argued a lot on Coda Radio with I have with Michael Dominic is. If you're a if you're a Windows developer and an Android developer and an iOS developer and a Mac developer, mm-hmm. in each one of those things that I just said, there is an obvious chain of applications, troubleshooting, and beta testing and deployment uh, steps to take. And sometimes they're like, you know, I have to deploy an app through Apple's crappy app store where they have to like deny me for any arbitrary reason. But mm-hmm. I know what the process is to get the application on that platform. I know yeah. what to write the application in. I know what toolkit to use. Mm-hmm. I know how mm-hmm. to distribute the application. Mm-hmm. I know how to receive feedback. And I know how to deploy updates so that end users get the updated version that fixes the problem. These mm-hmm. are all things that are answered for you when you want to develop for any of the other platforms except for Linux. And there's different ways you can do it on Linux. And some mm-hmm. are better than others. And there's different toolkits you can use, and some are better than others, but there mm-hmm. isn't one answer that is De like the go-to standard. guy that mm-hmm. or gal that just want, I want to do the thing, and I want to make yeah. a thing for Linux. I'm going to follow this order. I'm going to follow mm-hmm. this process. I kind of mm-hmm. feel like if you took Gnome Builder with Red Hat support plus the crowdfunding campaign, and you take something like universal application installs and sandboxing, and you mm-hmm. bring it all together, it makes a really clear on-ramping path for new mm-hmm. developers or companies that wanted to start mm-hmm. shipping their application for the Linux desktop. And I would love to see Gnome Builder take that. Uh, we've seen other things out there, like a Qt Creator, that are great, but they just don't seem to have really grabbed a lot of attention. Maybe we'll see one if, 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 if Unity 8 goes big. But they haven't yet grabbed a lot of attention. Gnome Builder has got the backing of a, of a great Linux company, and uh, they don't seem to have the strategy tax of that company. So I'm very mm-hmm. enthusiastic about it. And so my wish list is a very obvious on-ramping process for new developers to distribute, support, and maintain their applications on the mm-hmm. Linux desktop across multiple distributions. Yeah, I'm 100% there. I mean, you know, as as a as a non-developer <clears throat> and as somebody who doesn't find developed terribly interesting, I'm not overly involved in that world and nor can I speak very authoritatively in that space, but anything that anything that helps people make the transition to Linux easier, I'm 100% supportive. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. Yep. You have a, a wish list for Cody. I do. So, 
I, uh, I'm addicted, addicted, uh, much to the dismay of a lot of other people, including Chris, <laughs> of the Western Digital TV Live, which is a small little uh, media player that it, 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 is, it is the most unsophisticated, unfancy media player you could ever buy. It, it does have apps so you can run like Netflix and stuff like that on it. But when you click on videos, you have your choice of mounting an NFS share, a Samba share, or an AFS, or what is Apple called? Apple file for AFP. AFP. Share. So you can choose one of those three things, and then it goes out and you you punch in the IP address uh, of your server, and it opens that up, and you open up a folder, <clears throat> and you can play videos. And I can open up my ISOs, and it will open them up, and I get to the DVD menu as if I had actually inserted that DVD, so I never, ever feel like I have <clears throat> lost something by ripping the DVD. I feel like I it's basically like the ability to just insert the DVD, and I love the thing. It's a great device. The problem is they're not very popular. I think I'm practically the only person that uses them. My local Best Buy doesn't even stock them anymore because I used to buy them out all the time, and then now they've stopped stocking, <laughs> so I have to order them online. It's become a real pain, and I've been searching for a replacement. I don't want something that I have to activate online. I don't mm -hmm. want something that requires a third uh, party. Right. And I don't want, even if that third party service is something that I own and run, I don't want to use it. I just want to point it to a file share and open file share and open media. Or I want to be able to stick a USB drive in there and play media off of that. And so I there's a number of different devices that run OpenELEC and Kodi. But they're all based on Android and they're cheap Chinese junk that's made in China yeah. that doesn't really work very well. And yeah. If I know that a bunch of you are going to say, well, I have this one and I really like it. And if that works for you, I'm thrilled. But they don't work as well as the commercial <laughs> in Best Buy do. And yeah. that's just the sad truth. And I don't like it. And the experience. other thing is, too, is I hate seeing Android on my TV. It just drives me nuts. I don't want to see Android. I just want to go right into Kodi and play my media. I don't want to have half a keyboard that I have to like enter in stuff. I want a remote and I just click on videos and I want my videos to pop up. It's simple. And so what, we, what I want is a commercially produced Kodi uh, media player. I want something or a code and it could be Cody. It could be open elect. It could be MB. It could be uh, whatever, as long as it plays local media. So really Cody is the only thing I know of. Uh, it, I would prefer that it was, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a open elect box that I just buy at the store and plug an HDMI cable and plug my ethernet cable or connect to Wi-Fi and power it up. And it just works. That's what I want. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see that as well. I would buy that box. And if you guys know of something that really meets all of those requirements, Linux Action Show at Reddit.com, look for three ninety nine. Uh, while I'm talking about like uh, future desktop stuff, can I just make a Wayland prediction or a wish list? Sure. These are not predictions; yeah. these are wishes. I, I and and the true is this is true for all of the video card manufacturers, but for me, you know, specifically a wish list item. I would mm -hmm. love to see NVIDIA step up with first-rate Wayland support and, and Mirror yes. support as well. But uh, mm -hmm. I really want to, I just, I will, I, by the end of 2016, my wish is to run Wayland on a studio computer with full NVIDIA support so I can mirror mm -hmm. the display and get great frame rate so I can demo great 3D applications on Linux on Wayland. I have been asking for different Wayland support for years. My wish is in 2016, NVIDIA is like, you know what? We're shipping a driver. Here it is. It's got great Wayland support. Mm -hmm. Even includes like early Vulkan support. If I could be crazy. I mean, I'm wishing here. That is, I, I really I love to you, see. I think you could have just as well made that a prediction. I, I think that's very likely to You happen. think so? I don't know. Yeah, I, I do. I think there's a lot of pressure on NVIDIA to get it right on Linux. And I think that there's no question that the future of graphics on Linux is Wayland. And I don't mirror what's mirror. I think that the future of graphics on Linux is yeah. going to be Wayland. And I think that NVIDIA being in the graphics world and recognizing that, especially, especially with the launch of the Steam box, yeah. the Steam 
I, I hope think so. that there's a very yeah. high likelihood that's if Steam happen. pushes them, you know, if, if if Valve works with them, I could see that mm-hmm. happening. All mm-hmm. right, so I'll do my kind of uh, mere mirrorish predict uh, wish list next. But do you want to take on the video conferencing one real quick? Yes. So I I did these in order of least wish to most wish. In other words, the the thing that I want most uh, out of Linux in 2016, more than anything else, especially right now, especially right now, is I want a video conferencing solution that doesn't require a web browser so that it can be controlled because web browser solutions are finicky. There's There's a bunch of variables that you can't control and drives both Chris and I nuts. I want the ability to set the resolution, set the frame rate, set the audio codec, set the audio bit rate. I want direct TCP socket connection, not going through some service that magically doesn't work sometimes and magically works other times. I just want, you know, this is not that hard. It's really not all. It's kind of like your file syncing solution. We have all the various little parts. We have V4L that can capture the video and we have Mm. XMP, which can send video across the net. All we need is somebody to make a client and a server that puts all this crap together and makes it work and so that we can do video conferencing on Linux. Every other platform has the ability to do video conferencing. And if you just want to talk to your friend, because I know right now, again, people are banging away at their keyboards saying, well, you could use Google Hangouts and you could Mm -hmm. use Skype and you could. I know, I know, but they don't work. And we've tried it. And if you're just talking to your friends, it's fine. But when you actually want to do what we're doing, it doesn't work. And we've tried them and we know it doesn't work because we've tried and it doesn't work. Did I mention it doesn't work? Yeah. So if 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 that, I feel like we are so close, and it's becoming so important. Nobody does. I don't ever talk to my wife over the phone or my kids over the phone. Everything is video conference nowadays, and we just we need a solution on Linux. So yeah. you know, I really really want a video conference yeah. solution on Linux. Yeah, and something that uh, is very high quality that does thirty frames per second, high definition. That'd be fantastic. Uh, and, and there's so many that get so, so close that so many people tell you it does work. I guess it just depends on what your quality bar is. Uh, so speaking of quality bar, uh, I, I want, I would, here's, this is wishing, right? I want unity eight to ship and I want it to be a better performer than unity seven. Uh, even canonical when looking at what prevents Linux from becoming a gaming desktop in their own analysis, they determined that Unity has a bit of attacks. Uh, Unity costs about 10% in frame rate performance when running a game. I want Unity 8 to ship with Mir, and I'd like to see that gap closed. Wouldn't it be amazing if the new Unity 8 desktop got a reputation for being freaking fast, for being high performance, for being even faster than the last version, for being even better for your games with less of a frame rate overhead. Wouldn't it be amazing if at the same time SteamOS and all of these games are coming to Linux platform that the number one Linux desktop shipped with a brand new desktop that was even faster than before? Wouldn't that be some marketing? Wouldn't that be some great word of mouth to spread on one of the reasons to switch to Linux and the Ubuntu desktop? And wouldn't that be a great great reason to try out the new Unity 8 desktop, and it's just one small thing, but of course it would take a ton of work. So my wish list is, the Unity 8 presents even less performance overhead than Unity 7 does today. I would like to see them close that 10% gap. Wouldn't they, I don't care how they do it, I don't care if Xmir has some sort of tricks where it doesn't use compositing, I would mm-hmm. love to see it. What do you think? No, wouldn't that be a great sort of like send off, or uh, uh, you know, uh, grand <laughs> entrance for the Unity 8 desktop? Yeah, yeah, no, it really would. I also, at 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 the risk of at the risk of um, what would you call it? Drifting your wish. 
Um, I also wouldn't be opposed to Canonical just calling it quits on Unity and going over to Gnome so that we just have, we go back to one desktop environment yeah. that the rest of the Linux yeah. world uses. Yeah. And we stop having this really irritating divide between yeah. a bunch of everything yeah. else. How about a great Gnome Shell happen. theme and using Wayland and we're good to go. Use Wayland, yeah. Gnome Shell theme, System D, and you know what? We'll call it Unity. And you know what else? We'll all call it Unity just to make them feel better so that way they just do yeah. it. We'll all just, yeah, that's yeah. Unity. And yeah, all the work will be done for you because everyone else is contributing to. Yeah. Anyway, no, I I do. I think it would be great if if Unity took the next step, and I think that it would also propel a lot more of the gamers, the the PC gamers, because. I thought that once the Steam machine got released that you would see an influx of people that are going over to console gaming. Um, and uh, I, I guess that hasn't been my experience with the people I've been talking to. Uh, but there are a number of people that are switching over to, to, to gaming on their Linux desktops and trying gaming on their Linux desktops. And that's really cool. And so if your wish list did come true, that would really solidify their decision to try it and perhaps stick with it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So uh, that's our wish list items for Linux land in 2016. What are yours? Go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, find Linux Action Show 399, and let us know your feedback right in there. Or, you know what? Join us for Linux Unplugged on Tuesday. We have a virtual lug, and I bet this topic just might come up. But for now, that's Linux Action Show's wish list for Linux land in 2016. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we get out of here, we got to cover some scale stuff, including an interview with the folks behind scale and your emails. But first, I want to thank our segment sponsor, System76 Creators. You could say the parents of machines born to run Linux. Ubuntu right out of the box, full support. And man, I'm talking everything works, and they are anal about that. But what's even more impressive about the System76 company is the people behind the System76 company. We got a chance to meet some of those folks when we tra traveled to Denver, Colorado. And Noah, do you remember, uh, maybe you remember his name. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on this name, but he gave us his own personal rig to run as the OBS machine. Oh yeah. yeah so that so that that story is actually funny to begin with. So there's a there's a alcohol shop <laughs> like right down from the the System 76 office like you take the elevator to the bottom you go out and there's a beer shop or whatever. And apparently a a, a number of the guys had 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 visited this this uh, this store enough times and eventually started talking to the guy about uh, about Linux and about computers. And he's like, yeah, I'm a geek. I really like Linux. So no kidding, full Windows guy, does everything in Windows, comes to work from System76, and they convert him yeah. from a Windows guy to a Linux. And like he he goes like all in. Like he formats his machine yeah. and stuff. And, and, and then, you also you should mention he was a Windows gamer. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was he, he was like he was like the top end of the Windows. I mean, you didn't get any more Windows fanboy. And they totally converted him. And then he went the opposite direction. Then he's like, he I mean, he couldn't say enough good things about Linux. And it was great because he would like he would apologize. Like he he would he would open up his notes to do something and he'd be typing some crazy terminal command. And then he'd look at me and be like, Yeah, sorry, I'm new to Linux. And then he'd keep typing and I'm like, I don't have any idea what you're doing, man. Right. I've been using Linux for 10 years. I loved so. it. You know, and it shows you the passion of the people that work at System76. Yeah. Go there, get a machine built for Linux. You don't have to worry about your hardware. You get to play with your Linux. They got laptops and desktop built right here in the US of A. Had a good time. I hope they do the super fan contest again. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be at scale. So speaking of scale, uh, we have our meetup page up now at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash meetup. The Linux Action Show Power Brunch. Here's what I'm thinking, Noah. We may have made a huge error. We may have okay. to completely redo this. Okay. 
Cory Doctorow is giving his keynote at 9 a.m. at scale. I saw that, yeah. So I think we got to move our power brunch from 9.30 to some other time, maybe after Cory Doctorow. So my yeah. hope is that you get in uh, like Thursday-ish and you can be available for Friday before I leave town. Hadia okay. and I are going to head out Friday afternoon-ish uh, so that way I can make it back up to the studio, hopefully by Sunday. We'll see. Okay. Uh, but I wanted to have our meetup to celebrate last 400 before I leave. I was thinking before scale got started, but Cory Doctorow's giving his keynote at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to be the D-bag who's holding the meetup during Cory yeah. Doctorow's keynote. I don't want to be yeah, that Yeah, there guy. you go. So we have a thread over in the Linux Action Show subreddit. Maybe you guys have a better idea. Let's collaborate. Uh, let's find a time and a place on Friday before I have to leave town. Maybe we can get something figured out. So uh, you'll find the link in the show notes. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Go over there to get uh, to get involved. We've already got 18 people signed up. And the idea is you get subscribed to this. And when we lock something in, you'll be the first person to know. And all of the discussion around this event is happening in the subreddit thread. All of the actual like reminders and calendaring is happening here at the Meetup page. We have a link to that in the show notes where you can meet up with Noah and I and have a power brunch and celebrate last. 400. Now, uh, while we're talking about scale, Noah, you had a chance to chat with a few folks. It was a couple, right? It was a couple uh, yeah, gentlemen yeah, from scale. And, and Elon. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we, you know, they are super excited. So we wanted to run this for you, of, uh, a little get a little taste of the folks working on scale behind the scenes. Noah chatted with them just a little bit earlier this week. And uh, instead of us talking about it, get it straight from the horse's mouth. Last year, Jupiter Broadcasting was pleased to have an attendance at scale, a presence at scale. We actually did a live broadcast from scale. This year, it's going to be even bigger. Chris is going to be joining me. We're going to be out um, at the Scale Expo. And to, to kind of prep you for that, we actually brought on two of the key people that help make scale possible. Uh, that's Elon and Gareth. Hey, guys, how are you? Good. Thanks for, thanks for having us on the show. So Doing good. Thanks. Glad to be here. Hey, we appreciate having you. So tell me a little bit about what uh, what scale is for you. If somebody hasn't heard of scale, if they've been living under a rock, tell me what scale is. Uh, so, so scale's a, a four day uh, a four day Linux and open source uh, open source conference uh, that we've been running. This will be our fourteenth year running this as uh, uh, from the open source community here in, in Southern California. Uh, normally takes uh, takes place somewhere in or around Los Angeles. Um, this year we'll be at the Pasadena Convention Center from January 21st to the 24th. Okay. Now, um, is that the same place that it was last year? Or is this a new place? This this is a new place. So we've been uh, historically we've been by the LAX airport. Uh, unfortunately, we outgrew pretty much every hotel in the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. So we had to move one. T- we had to move one town over and uh, and rent out the convention center. Yeah, there so you this go. Year's gonna be, this, so this year's going to be. So this year's going to be. Uh, significantly, significantly bigger, um, you know, uh, sort of to we're, we're scaling up. <laughs> sure. Well, the positive side of that is that that means that scale is in fact growing and attendance is going up and that means more success in the Linux ecosystem, right? So that's, we can see that we can say that's a good thing. That, that, that's, that's definitely what we're, we're seeing. Uh, there's just, uh, consistently more, more demand for, uh, both at scale as well as at the other, uh, community open source shows around the country. Now, Elon, I know that you are the you're essentially the conference chair. Um, Garrett, uh, we also have Garrett with us. Gareth, can you tell me a little bit about what your role is um, in scale? Sure. So um, I actually have two roles. Um, I, I wear many hats, but but two primary roles. Um, so my one of my roles is I deal with the um, a lot of our actually most of our all of our open source projects um, that come out to the show. Um, so Elon 
it deals with the the commercial sponsors um, or and the commercial exhibitors. Um, I'm kind of the the opposite of that. I am on the other side of the fence. Um, so all of our open source projects that come out to exhibit each year, I'm the person that, that kind of recruits them and deals with them and, and deals with their um, their needs throughout the show. And the other side of the things, the other side, uh, the other role that I, I do is uh, kind of conference operations. Um, so dealing with a lot of the venue vendors that we uh, that we have to that we work with um, throughout the year. Um, so uh, the the company that we deal with to, to get our T-shirts every year, the company that we deal with to kind of set up our exhibit hall. Sure. Um, I'm the main kind of liaison between them and and the rest of the team. If somebody's interested in coming to the conference, can you speak a little bit to the cost of what it costs to attend scale? Either of you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the the, the base <laughs> no. price right now um, is eighty five dollars, um, but most most people uh, receive some sort of discount code. So we yeah, I should be obnoxious right here and say uh, you can use the promo code last forty and you can save forty percent on that. Just to interrupt the interview, but just so you know, last forty. Hand out various codes um, to all of our uh, all of our sponsors uh, as well as all of our speakers to distribute to kind of their audience. Um, most of those discounts they raise between either forty or fifty percent, um, depending on on which group is handing them out. Um, so, uh, all the speakers, for example, are, are have been asked to to pass out the the speak um, discount code. So that'll give people a fifty percent discount on on uh, a full oh, access 50. pass. Oh, fifty! Um, and so that gives them access to the all the events on both Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday, um, like all the keynotes, all the talks. Um, as well as all of our evening events and our expo hall. Yeah, and you've actually been kind enough to to. Um, I think we are actually running uh, uh, running some promos for uh, Scale itself through Jupiter Broadcasting. So that's that's actually super exciting. Um, and uh, the even if you're if you're flying into LAX as far as commuting to the convention center, how far about is is it away? Um, so LA is uh, is is well known for our traffic. So the the how far is a little. Uh, the the, the 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 amount of time you're going to spend on it is is probably yep. a little variable. Sure. sure. Uh, but but the, the closest airport to fly to is probably the Burbank Airport. You know, you can and you can get from there to the venue in you know 10, 15 minutes. Um, from LAX, depending on the time of day, it could be anywhere. It it, 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 it could be quite a bit longer. Um, so again, depends on where you're flying in from. But uh, from either location, it's it's quite it's it's quite worth the uh, it's quite worth the drive or the Uber ride. It'll be. Uh, um, you know, you, you you get to have a lot of fun at scale, and the and the scale conference itself is 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 quite uh, quite cost effective compared to a lot of the other commercial events out there. Um, we 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 do a lot. Well, we do a lot of work. Well, we do we work very closely with our sponsors to help make sure that we can keep the uh, you know keep the pricing low for for the communities that folks that um, you know just just getting whether whether you're just getting started in your career or you're doing this you're you've been doing this forever mm-hmm. um, you can st- you can still get access to the same level of quality you know quality training and sessions at scale and along with what i was saying earlier um, you 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 hit on a very important point and that is that um, I attend a lot of the enterprise grade conferences, or at least I used to for the purpose of bettering my business because I wanted to be able to put more food on the table um, and scale, uh, you know, at, 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 at even, even at a sub hundred dollar price point, I got to tell you, that is a terrific deal. If you're working in the IT market and you want to network and, and, and sit kneecap to kneecap with, with some of the leaders in the industry and talk to them about what they're doing and find out what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, we just, we really appreciate having you. So is there anything else either of you want to add before we wrap um so i, I did want to touch on on two 
sort of different, two very different events that are happening at scale that I thought, uh, that, that I think might be interesting to the audience. Um, the, the first is uh, an event, it's an event we call Scale the Next Generation, where we have, uh, where we, we, we've, we've come up with a track, a full day track where the where K through twelve students are presenting on their on their use of open source or work in open source. Oh, cool! Uh, which is, so if you've got uh, if you've got if you got if you're if you're considering coming to scale, uh, make sure you bring your kids with you on Saturday. Uh, all of the exhibitors love to love to meet with folks and tell them how open source can help them in their as, as they're growing up. Uh, but we also have that that amazing one day track led 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 by kids for kids. How fun um, is that? Yeah. And, and then, of course, the game night on Saturday night that we run is also, um, you know, most conferences, they throw a party and there's, uh, you know, tends to be a lot of drinking involved. We're not we're not opposed to having fun. Um, if that's if that's if that's your idea of fun, there's plenty of opportunities to do that at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game night is the game night for us is a is sort of a family friendly event where you get to play board games, video games. Uh, you know, last year there was laser tag. I won't surprise or sorry, two years ago, there was laser tag. Last year was uh, blacklight mini golf. I won't surprise the yeah, I, won't, I won't ruin the surprises to what the events are this year, but uh it should be a ton of fun. Um, the second event I wanted to mention is uh, we have an open source. We have a we we have one of the things that at least uh, that I've found in, in my career and, a, and I think a number of other of our organizers as well is that um, you know as as you start to bring open source into your organizations, especially if it's if it's not uh, uh, you occasionally in, interact with your legal teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and yep. so whether that be whether that because you want be because you want to ingest open source software because you want to release some project yourself. Uh, and so we found that a lot of times the lawyers don't necessarily understand what that means, and either they're either they're hesitant or they you know they want more information. Um, and so what we've done is we put together a a full day training course for lawyers on the Friday of scale. Uh, um, That's great. And so it'll be led by you know with, with sessions by folks like Richard, Richard Fartana, Heather Meeker, uh, Pamela Chestick. These are these are the these are the lawyers that companies like you know Red, Red Hat and and Chef and, and some of the largest open source companies are, are have hired in house because of their expertise, uh, and so they'll be teaching that with CLE credits. So if you're if you're working in a software in a company that uses or releases open source software, and you think um, you think it might there, you think your 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 legal department might benefit from understanding a little better what you're doing, bring them bring your lawyer with you, bring your lawyer and your kid with you to scale. They'll both have a good time, uh, and the lawyers will get the lawyers will get CLE credit for it. So it uh, it goes towards their bar requirements. That is absolutely outstanding. That's terrific. I love it. I love it. Uh, Gareth, anything you want to add before we take off? Um, I, I was going to mention the, the TNG track, but Elon beat me to the punch. Um, so I, I would just encourage, no, no worries. Um, I would just encourage anyone that, that's uh, in the area that, that wants to have a, have a really good time at a uh, relatively inexpensive open source conference to, to come out and join us um, and, and definitely use the, the promo code that the Jupiter Broadcasting is offering um, and get yourself a, a, a discounted pass to, uh, to the show. And we look forward to seeing everyone there. We look forward to seeing you too. Gareth, Elon, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. To everyone at Jupiter Broadcasting is listening, LAST40, L-A-S-4-0, all, uh, all run together. Use that promo code, get 40% off, and come and see us at scale. Elon, Gareth, you guys are great people. You guys are Linux heroes. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate having you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Noah. That was really cool, Noah. Nice. And uh, nice plug for the last 40 promo code. We don't get any uh, monies for it, but, uh, you know, it's still uh, it's still cool it's to kind of give us a, like a little bit of credit, I guess. It's, it's a benefit to the listeners if they want, because they're devoted Linux Action Show audience members, they can attend scale at a discounted rate. Uh, and uh, if you're in the area, you can still attend the meetup without even going. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcast Team. Hold on. Do I?
Hello. Hi there. Hi. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a, I have a guest in the studio. Uh, do you, hello there. Hi there. Hi. Hey, hi. Do you want to come say hi? You can come say. I have, uh, this is, uh, uh, say hi to Hadia. Hi, Hadia. Say hi. hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> wow, I look like totally not dressed. Do you like the queen? Do we have the queen right there. That's nice. Oh, yeah. I see that. I saw it upstairs on your computer, so you replaced <laughs> the image in the background? Well, no. Actually, we're, we have a thread over at uh, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. If people want to replace the image uh, of the queen, you could, uh, for next week's episode, we could have a brand new image back there. Go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. We have a call out. Producer Q5Sys started the thread. We have the clear image, the blurred image. Uh, there's even already an example right there with Mr. Richard Stallman. <laughs> what do you think? That's phenomenal. I thought there was going to be a chicken pot pie. Yeah, there's two out there. Two chicken you pot pies? Right yeah, I want what? it. I'm not sharing my Yeah, I want my own chicken pot pie. That's why there's two. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> you go to KFC. Well, you. I want my chicken pot pie. Yeah, I don't. Can go get it? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I want to show. I will show the folks the chicken pot pie. Hadia, during the show, went and got me a chicken pot pie, Noah. So if you'd like to. You guys uh, went to KFC. Yeah, yeah. I know, man. I know. So like, Here's what I'm thinking, Noah. Here's what I'm thinking. I, I tell you what you're thinking. You're thinking, I feel really bad that Noah doesn't have any KFC. My girlfriend bought me KFC. That's what you're thinking. Do you have? Do, do they do the chicken pot pies at your KFC? Yes, they do chicken pot pies at my KFC. Well, all right. So here's what I want to do. So we got the queen okay. here. We have sort of a problem. What's the problem? You don't do dishes here, so they're <laughs> just <a spoon. laughs> You have to eat with a Open spoon. Open mic. Okay, all right. So here, Noah, here you go. I just want to, I got this chicken pot pie right here. Look at that thing. Look at that thing, Noah. Oh, it's hot. It's too hot. It's too hot and fresh for me to hold. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. That's not, that's okay. not cool. I'm leaving. I'm exiting totally stage right. Wait, will you, you, you seal it back up for me? Well, I'll hold on to it. I can hold on to it. I'll hold on to it for the rest of the show. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. It was nice to see you. Thank you for the chicken pot pie. Uh, Thank you for not bringing me a chicken pot pie. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? You're, you're, it's like 20 below where you're at. Can you really expect? Yeah. Yeah. Probably, All right. probably get cold before I got here. I'll probably walk in the door. Oh, the spot on the table is warm where the chicken pot pie is. I love it. It's right there. Look at that. No sponsorship here. What's that? Your pot, she's even got a better one. Hmm. Look at that golden top right there. That's a that's a chicken pot pie. I know. I love it. So, anyways, if you uh, so, I'm going to stick with this background since we're the Linux Action Show is back in video. Uh, I'm going to keep this background for a while. So maybe uh, let's make it better. We started with okay. a good RMS background, and uh, here's a couple of things. Remember, you got to make a little. You got to make it uh, perspective, so it's got to be a little, uh, you know, blurred a little bit. I don't have to give away the secret sauce. All the details are in the subreddit that Mr. Uh, or right there that Mr. Q5 says started with the thread. Okay, Noah, let's get to emails before we get out of here. Zach the Penguin writes in about DRM in 2016. This is right up my alley. He says, hey, guys. So looking forward to seeing the shows to come in 2016. One of my resolutions this year is to read more, and I've noticed that Amazon eBooks are just as locked down as their movies. You guys have talked quite a bit about DRM and movies, including the last show and game. So I wonder... What do you do for DRM-free books? What do you guys do for eBooks that you can use on your hardware? Wow, okay, that is, is a, a great question. That is, it is a great question. Unfortunately, I don't know about you, but I don't have a great answer. Do you? No. I have an answer. It's not a good answer. And though. you know what's funny is I'm actually more comfortable with DRM in my video games, music, and even TV shows than I am in my books and, and in movies really? too. I, I, I feel like movies and books are like, these are cultural uh, items that I want to preserve for my life. And I feel like TV shows and video games are ethereal that are constantly evolving and sort of represent a snapshot in time. And therefore I don't need to archive them forever. So for me, 
the top of that list is books. The number one thing that I don't want to have restrictions in wow. is books. And yet, really? I'm kind of all in on Audible and Kindle. That's where all of my eBooks are and my electronic books are. So I would love, I know Cali Calibra or whatever is a, is a solution here, but how do you get those things? How do you break them from the DRM? And how do you do yeah. it in a way that is scalable? I don't have an answer to that. Do you? Dude, I'm, I'm like 100% opposite direction of you. I never reread books. I read them once. I get the information I want out of them. Occasionally, I'll reference them, but I never, ever, I've never gone back and reread a book from cover to cover. Just never done it. Movies and TV shows, on the other hand, all the time, I'm like, hey, let's go sit down and watch this movie together. Hey, let's yeah. go sit down and oh, watch oh, the first Oh, movie. for sure. But, you know, uh, picture picture like, uh, like Noah from, you know, 10 years from now. Uh, I think Noah of 10, 15 years from now might want to be able to revisit a book. Man, this crusty... Oh, well, I had yeah, there's no way your chicken pot pie is as good as mine. What? My top, my top looks really good. Yeah, well, anyways, uh, I, I feel like books are more, are, are more like things that I want to preserve for long term because I want to revisit them a decade down the road. Uh, all right, Mr. Noah, do you want to take on uh, our next uh, feedback? Wait, wait. Yeah, if I look at the screen, I won't have to look at your chicken pot pie. <laughs> Oded A writes in with last audio quality. Hearing the la hearing the plans for playing with last audio format that Chris worries about uh, last audio quality, I had to ping back and comment with Lass's audio quality is much better than many other podcasts I listen to. Some much larger and richer organizations than Jupiter Broadcast. Uh, even Noah's field trips audio recording at the top of a hundred foot antenna pole is much better than what I'm often exposed to with listening to quality internet programming. Um, and so basically what he's saying is, don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, I, if nothing else, I just thought it is a good representation of the fact that there are, I think, a lot of people that as long as they can understand what's being said and as long as they can see uh, uh, Chris and my beautiful face, that um, they're happy. Yeah, I and like that. I like that a lot. Even if we do have faces that were, you know, really a face for radio. That's face for funny. radio. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that vote of confidence. So Paul writes in with our last feedback this week. I'm a longtime listener of Last, and I thought I would point out a Linux distro that I recently ran across that might be of interest to you and your listeners. The distro is called Chipoo, or Chipoo, or Cheap. Ew. And it's derived from Fedora yeah. Linux out of the support of VLC, Media Codex, Flash Support, Broadcom, Wireless Drivers, and Hardware Helper Tools for installing NVIDIA drivers, among other features. All of this on top of the cutting-edge features of your Fedora. It seems like it should take the work out of setting up a Fedora as a distribution's regards, Paul. I thought I, we've talked about cheap-ass Linux before, and I compared it to Corora. I, th I, think it, I think it's Chapu, first of all. Not, not cheap-ass <laughs> Linux? I think it's Chapu. I could be cheap-ass Linux, but I think if you look at the spelling, I think it's... More line hmm. in lines with well of pronunciation of Chapu, but either hmm. which way you look at it, you know what? I would only call it cheap ass Linux in the feedback segment of last. This is like if people are still watching, this is a segment where it's like oh. it's totally off, the, it's off the tracks. Okay. Uh, all right, yeah, I I do know yet. about Chapu or cheap ass Chapu. Linux, and I actually think it's Chapu. pretty neat. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go back. We never actually answered that first guy's question. Um, so the answer to the answer, what I do for for books is I don't read them on my desktop if they're available i, I would but the uh, the amount of time the amount of times that i've ever wanted to burn my laptop battery to read a book are almost next to none i can read perfectly yeah. comfortable on my phone or on my tablet and so i've never really had a reason to read on on my laptop and if uh, in the extraordinary circumstances that i was going to read on my laptop i would just use the kindle uh, app reader yeah. it has drm it's yeah. not solving your problem which why i said it's not really a good answer to your question that's what i do you know 
I had an interesting experience uh, this weekend. So uh, I on Friday night I unplugged my XPS 13 um, developer edition laptop, which isn't really the developer edition. That it is one it is one revision back on the Dell XPS 13 line, and I have Arch Linux installed. Uh, it was updated as of recently a week ago, and uh, I unplugged it from my power source on Friday at about 7:30 p.m. And then I spent all day Saturday using the web on and off. Saturday evening, I watched Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 3, Best of Both Worlds, Part 1, and in Season 4, Episode 1, both Best of Both Worlds, Part 2. And I browsed the web this morning prepping for this show. While hooked up to an external audio source, using Wi-Fi with screen brightness around 85%, and I, had, I ran off battery from Friday till Sunday morning. Friday till Sunday morning, using like video decoding, web browsing, Wi-Fi. Uh, I installed a Steam game too. I I, I didn't play it, but I downloaded uh, Nebula online mm-hmm. and installed it on my machine. Nebula online, by the way, check it out. It's Eve without the uh, spreadsheet. Uh, and all of that using the XPS 13 over the weekend. We are not there yet with battery usage under Linux, but we are getting damn close. And if you have devices, like, and my most recent experience is the Bonobos, the Oryx Pro, and the XPS 13, and all of them have recently surprised me. Like, Noah, I, I, I don't know if you've ever, maybe you, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I'm using a Linux laptop, and I'm two days into it, and I was like, oh, oh, I left it on battery accidentally. Like I've been yeah. watching videos and mm-hmm. and like I didn't even realize it was unplugged until 2 days later. Yeah. That's a huge deal. Uh, that's yeah. a big deal for Linux. So my last wish list item for Linux in 2016 is improved battery support because I got a glimpse of it in January of just how close we are without mm-hmm. a lot of optimization. So my last wishlist item for this year, for 2016, is mm-hmm. absolute improved power management support on Linux under laptops and mobile devices for 2016. Do you have any other last wishlist before we wrap up? No, I, th- I think that I think that pretty much, I know the second I walk out of here, I'm going to think of something I, I yeah. wish Linux would do. <laughs> I but but yeah. I, I guess here, here I, so I, I'm, this is kind of a generic thing, just kind of a general, uh, this is out there, and it's this doesn't really follow the rules per se, um, but I, in general, wish that Linux will become a overall generally more accepted platform. Mm-hmm. That's I, I think that's if if I think about all the things I want in the world on Linux, if nothing else, that is the one thing I want. And it, and it's it's kind of more out of the blue; doesn't really have a possibility of happening in sixteen, really. But what I want is I want when Adobe starts to think about what they're going to make Photoshop for, I want them to start to think of Linux as a real contender. And the only way that happens is if a ton of people start using it and a ton of people start, you know, essentially voting it legitimate. And and that's, I guess, my biggest wish of all for Linux is that it becomes a a generally accepted platform and that I can stop Linux. Like every time somebody says, well, this software thing is out, I always have to think, gee, I wonder if there's a competitor on Linux. I know the main one. My ultimate wish list item for 2016 is that brand Linux just takes a step up. Uh, and maybe yeah, that's yeah, through yeah, there you go, yeah. yeah, maybe that's through continued adoption of Chromebooks, uh, or maybe it's through Android, maybe it's through Ubuntu kicking mm-hmm. ass, maybe it's through Steam machines rocking, maybe it's through Panasonic Firefox OS machine uh, TVs being great. I don't care how it gets out there, but my final wish list for 2016 is brand Linux 
gets mm-hmm. known as not that hard thing that requires the command line, but that general technology platform that enables a lot of kick-ass Internet of Things functionality. That's mm-hmm. my, and, and I think that's not that far of a stretch for the end of 2016 to get brand Linux up a notch. If you'd like to contact the show, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. If you want me to actually read it, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. <laughs> that would be a great place to go. If you'd like to contact me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chrislas, the network at Jupiter Signal for network news. And Mr. Kernel Linux over there also has a Twitter feed, don't you, Noah? Uh, at Kernel Linux, I've been, I, I've, I've, tr- I've gotten into the point, much to the irritation of some of my clients. Every time I see something ridiculous and stupid, I take a picture of it now and post it on Twitter. You know what? I, I love them, those. I ask permission first before I ever do it. But oh, you do. But a, lot of, a lot of them are like, a lot of them are like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Would you mind if I put it on the internet? And they're like, uh, why? Isn't that kind of embarrassing? I'm like, yeah, but it'll give a lot of my friends a good laugh. <laughs> there you go, and it does give me a good laugh. In fact, what I like about it is the new Twitter feature. We're like, since you've been away, because I don't. You know, social media. I'm not a big, not a big yeah. social media well, guy. Had more time, you yeah. might be. So I go on. I log on to Twitter. It's like since you've been gone, and always those pictures from you are at the top yeah. of my. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> at Kernel Linux for those. Uh, at, go check it out. Those are fun. Uh, at Chris Elias for me. Meetup.com/slash Jupiter Broadcasting for uh, the crap going down in Pasadena for the Power Brunch. Uh, join us. I'd love to have you there at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Join us live next week, jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. And don't forget, the Linux Action Show will be live on Friday next week because, well, we got to record ahead of time for scale. So it's a big week, and I'm going to count on you to show up because otherwise we won't have a title. Thanks so much, and see you right back here next week. One of the most stressful things in life ever is uh, actually getting a new RV, turns out, because it is a hybrid of buying a car and buying a house, mm-hmm. which are the two worst things you ever do as an yep. adult, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you combine the two worst things ever yep. into one buying experience, and this yep. is what I've been doing. Uh, so two things in my life have become true. Uh, I like going on road trips. I like doing shows on the road. Okay. Uh, and I'm also divorced and have three children, so there's those are those are real life factors that I'm Hold dealing on. with. We, okay, carry, yeah. carry the one. Yeah, that's true. Okay, both of those. Right, right, right. Okay. So uh, I have been thinking, well, I should combine these two things and upgrade, uh, because the rover. When I got the rover initially, my thought was this will be great for road trips, but I'm not going to live in it because that's ridiculous. Uh, then I went on a road trip and I realized. I actually really like this space, and I could yeah. live in it. It was like this right. weird, like, yep. Uh, yep. oh, everything I've once kind you, of once you get over once you get over this the the idiotic societal thing that you can't live inside of a smaller space because you need to have five thousand feet of square feet of living to be happy or whatever. Once you can get past that nonsense, right? And the funny thing is, is people don't even know this, but before the road trip, I was I was actually shopping for like really tiny homes, like small homes, like you know. Really small places because it uh, turns out I work a lot and that's where I want to put my energies. I want to put my energy into my work, my small mm-hmm. business, and into my children and also right. uh, the love of my life. Like that's those are like the three areas that I want to put my work, my energy into. And it turns out like maintaining a yard, maintaining a house doesn't really fit in with the fact that I like to sit in front of my computer screen. Uh, and so uh, I, I thought, well, turns out the rover is great. Except for it doesn't work so good when you have three children. 
Yeah. So then I thought, well, what if I took everything I like about the Rover and I just got a house, a.k.a., you know, like something like a 40-foot RV. So yeah. I, I started looking at different uh, RVs, and I found this uh, Berkshire 40QL, uh, four mm-hmm. slides, uh, 40 feet long, uh, nice diesel pusher engine, uh, a Cummins engine, uh, a, a nice uh, automatic uh, six-speed transmission, and I really like this unit. And so I thought this could be a great way. This could be like a Rover upgrade. It has slide-out storage bins, so it would be easy to bring like the crates that we use for on-location production. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, No, What does it cost to ship the big crates to, to, to live locations? What's the about, cost for one event? About $500. $500 that you about pay that. out of pocket just to ship. Yep. The crates to one event, right? And so I mean, to and from, but yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, really, even just from to well, and and, and of course, and well, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, not yeah, counting the on. fact that that's, something that's gets a, damaged yeah, every yeah, single time. That yeah, that's assuming that we have ample notice because if it was like where we're going to do the fedora thing, and and I mean that's assuming that we do three to five day shipping. If we had to overnight it, you could easily double that, and yeah. then you know and then some. Yeah, if we decided the last minute like we're done with scale. Uh, and of yeah. course, I wanted something that was large enough to fit three kids and two adults and be able yeah. to travel around the U.S. So I'm trying right now. I will find out on Monday, so tomorrow, mm-hmm. if the banks will approve my financing for something like this because... Awesome. You know, I wanted to get a diesel because diesel mm-hmm. is pretty nice, but also I wanted to get something that fit the kids. It was like a house, but also mm-hmm. something that worked for the shows. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're willing to give me full value on the trade of the existing rover, which is like I got to jump on that while I can because that's a great yeah. offer. But you, you kind of knew going into that that you had um, that you were yeah you were buying that a kind of a deal to yeah that's why I got the rover when I got it because I knew I could turn around and sell it pretty much at the same exact price that I bought it. So right. they're willing to give me exactly you know what I owe. So I don't ha- so they will just take the rover the existing rover from me uh, and. Yeah, we, no, no, it's like they'll, they'll, they'll give me the full market value for it, and uh, right. that's that's we'll super nice, yeah. Deal. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, the fact that I'm a podcaster, uh, they're not so sure about that. That's a little uncomfortable for the banks. Uh, the fact that I own the studio and also own the house that Angela lives in, they're not so comfortable about that. <laughs> so it may not happen, but uh, I really like it, too, because it is a nice rig with some good storage and some serious boondocking potential as well. With It's got a 7,000-watt built-in uh, Omen generator, which would be super nice. It runs off the built-in diesel. Yeah. Uh, it gets good gas mileage, which is something you mm-hmm. don't really find in a rig like this. Mm-hmm. I would love for this to happen. So it'd be like it'd be like like a full-in, like, we're going to do the road trip thing. Uh, so I hope it happens, but we'll see. I'm supposed to get the answer on Monday to see if the banks are willing to finance a podcaster. All right, so while we, while we wait for Noah, uh, I had something I wanted to play for you guys. Uh, oh, he's back already. That son of a bitch. Uh, all right, so hold before he gets his ear before he gets his ear, uh, earphones in, I had something I wanted to share with you guys that I thought was pretty cool. You probably saw it because it showed up all over uh, Reddit and Twitter. Uh, Noah may, may have seen it, but he's been pretty busy this week, so I'm going to play a little bit uh, of this uh, old Mandrake commercial from 1999. We are bringing a lot of new people into the Linux fold. By putting Linux into the retail, you know, we're spreading the word. We're helping more people experience it. And they can play around with it. They can see what it's all about. Of all the flavors of Linux in the market, one stands out. Macmillan's Mandrake distribution. It was the editor's choice for product of the year at this year's Linux World. Macmillan's Mandrake was praised for one thing in particular, its breadth. The editors called it, quote, the distribution destined to please almost everyone. 
the benefit that Macmillan brings to the software is bundling of the pieces together to help the end user get from where they are to being productive with Linux. For example, in the starter kit, we offer the complete idiot's guide, which takes them from cradle to grave, really, with Linux. For the more experienced user, right out of the box, they've got Apache server, they've got Woo! productivity apps, they've got the KDE and GNOME graphical user interfaces. Have you seen this, Noah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of the good old days a little bit. Uh, all right, so, so chat room. Do, so you do miss the good old days. Yeah. No, it's just usually, usually you're, you're I, I feel like I'm always the one that, that is, that is like railing over the old Pentium 3s and Pentium 4s and the, the old. Oh, no, no, there's stuff I miss about that stuff yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there is. There is for sure. Uh, but, you know, you know, I try to avoid it because it makes me think about how Canonical blew it for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's that.